Okay, welcome everyone to our Strange New World Season 1 recap. And I'm just happy we're here talking about this because I think all of us have been sort of very ecstatically glad about this Star Trek series in a way that, not to say that any others have underperformed, but just in a way that made every Star Trek fan happy. Um, uh, so yeah, this is... This is us going to be talking about the highs, the lows, the good points, the bad points, the uh, expectations and everything else. But I want to throw one out for you because we've been rating them as we go along. We've been rating mm. each episode and rather us doing kind of like a big, oh, you got, you know, seven for this, nine for that. Your aggregate score was 9.75. No, no, no. What did you guys out of 10 rate the season as a whole? As a mm. whole. As a that whole. Hmm. Hmm. Wow, that is so, I, I feel like this is a season where I can answer with good, with like a good authority and say the highs were extremely high. Um, like there are there are like episodes in here that I would gladly rewatch as many millions of times as any TNG DS9 like beloved episode. Um, there are some episodes that I did not like. Um, I personally like didn't like didn't hate them. I didn't I didn't think they were badly made. I thought they were wrong choices made every now and then, but nothing was offensive to me. I was just like, that is not the choice I would have made, and I kind of wish you'd gone in a different direction, mostly because it leaves certain storytelling things, but we'll get into that. Um, for me, I would probably have to give this... I don't know, man. I, I gotta be honest, it's like a 9 out of 10 season for me. There's, there's a few misses in here, but overall, what a fucking strong season. <laughs> yeah, I, um... Uh, I'm getting a child in my lap immediately. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when um, when I gave my first rating to the first episode that I did for this show, I didn't want to, like I said, I didn't want to give like a nine or a ten right away because I wanted to give the show a chance to improve on itself, and I I wanted to kind of give myself some wiggle room uh, to you know, see how it was going to play out before I, you know, decided for myself what the best one was going to be. Uh, and that worked out. So I kind of want to do the same thing for the season as a whole. Mm. And it might sound a little lower than you would think, but I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 for a season. Now, for s season one of a Star Trek series, that is phenomenal. Mm. Just are, are there any other series other... you could give that rating to? Uh, well, the the only thing is like people kind of tend to forget that season one of TOS was probably its strongest season. Hmm. Yeah, easily uh, I'd say. Yeah. Like season two has some really strong episodes, but there's a little bit of the creeping rot because of the various infighting at um at Desilu yeah. and stuff like that, and with yeah. the whole Roddenberry drama. Um, yeah, but and then the season three speaks for itself. Yeah, it's think, just, it's just uh, the yeah. quality goes so far up and down with with TOS. Mm. It's hard to to pin that on. But yeah, I would I would say an eight, with the thought that I could they do better? Can they do better? Will they do better? And I mm. I'm hoping the answer is yes. So mm. it's 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 a it's a nine for me. Um, partly because what, like the things that I didn't like about it were. Uh, one was a personal thing. We'll talk about Hammer. <laughs> that was the one thing that gets it the point docked. Um, but it was still executed brilliantly. And probably my like most disappointing episode was an average episode. Like, it wasn't objectively bad. It was just 
eh. But I can't think of any other season of Star Trek which has had, because pretty much every season, correct me if I'm wrong here, has had pretty much as high episodes as average episodes and it's had some dog crap episodes. Like every, just trying to think of any season that's had maybe just an average baseline. Maybe like a, like a season, well, even season like six a season DS9's four pretty or five. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's like season four or five TNG would have some weird comedy yeah. episode throw in that just doesn't hold up to the rest of it so yeah, yeah. i mean as far as just across the board yeah yeah the, the general like like ceiling of uh, ceiling of low quality is pretty high it's you know there are seasons that i think are better but the floor is so much higher than anything yeah. else like it, uh, in fact I was, that was the other question i was going to ask is um so if this is and i think we have to say like you know with the proviso of tos season one you know that's like it's you know as you say, the quality on that is so high and so iconic. If this is the best, say, 1987 to present Star Trek Season 1, what is the nearest contender? Lower Decks, I would say. Yeah? If you're going to count that in the running... I mean, yeah. I know it's a comedy spin-off. Um, more leaning, it leans more on the jokes than rather than the serious Trek aesthetic. And is more homage, yeah. although perfectly canon. Um, I feel, mm. yeah, Lower Decks Season 1 is probably the top contender. This is something that I, I say a little reluctantly just because it's not my favorite uh, Star Trek series, but probably Voyager. Interesting. And that, I, that sounds weird to say, mm. but it, I will. Well, and I'll say it with the caveat that it laid down a lot of threads and ideas about where you would think the show was going to mm. go given the setup that it just utterly does not follow up on. And that's yeah. what makes it look worse in retrospect. That's but true. Just watching season one. Well, you know, just the idea of the limited resources and the, you know, let's do everything we can to get home and uh, Maquis versus Starfleet on the same ship and let's everybody band together because we're all kind of stranded on this thing. And then just so many of those threads just go off to die. And so, but... As as they were established, as they were laid out, they were actually pretty good. Mm. They just they just didn't pay them off. They You're not wrong. It's like Voyager does very much have two different eras. There's sort of season one to season three, which is sort of your like it was one part of the Delta Quadrant, and then there's four to seven. And this doesn't. It also <laughs> coincidentally has the case of hey, who's your your other cast member? Is it Kess or is it Seven of Nine? That determines yeah. what era and the general level of quality. Garrett Wang is um, too handsome. We can't kill him off. <laughs> couldn't no, possibly. No, literally, that was the reason they, they he was. Uh, they were going to kill Garrett Wang off, or Harry came off, and then Garrett Wang won like most handsome performer in some teen magazine. So they're like, oh, we can't get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, he's got, got the teen heartthrob audience. Absolutely. Um, my contender would be Discovery Season 1. I think it ends quite yeah. badly. Like, I think the resolution with the Klingons is not handled particularly well. Hmm. There are some definite, like, shortfalls. But I think as a piece of drama, uh, and conversely to Voyager, a lot of what is laid down in Season 1 is still present in Season 3. I imagine in Season 4... It is still informing those characters, mm. and there are characters in that season who I would love to see show up in Strange New Worlds because I thought they had a strong enough introduction that I'm like, yeah, bring them back. Like, I don't know if people have been keeping a track on the news cycle, but Jason Isaacs and Henry Alonso Mayers, the um, showrunner for Strange New Worlds, have been having conversations, and it mm -hmm. appears that 
Mr. Alonso Mears is trying to draw him in with the the, the fishing yeah. line of a, a really good story, and Jason Isaacs is playing a bit coy. So, well, Jason Isaacs but, would, would do it for for bacon sandwich. Like he's he, he loved his time as Walker. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He, he absolutely adored it. So, but I, I think season one it also just has some really strong episodes. Like I really like the yeah. two uh, two part opener. I feel like a lot of people don't, but I do. Mm. Um, has some of the best episode titles in all of Trek stuff. Like you know, context yeah. is for kings. Like mm. the context is for kings speech is like. That's, that's really a good. speech of its own. That's like I've Alva. Always, I, I've um, always said that season one Discovery is underrated. Like I think, I, yeah, I'm, actually, I'm I do think it is. It, but I, that, that's a very it's subjective very... opinion. Like I mean, Discovery hmm. splits people anyway. Like some people don't like the yeah. the, the, the um, serialized storytelling, and pretty much in, any Discovery fan was like, yeah, it's the Michael Burnham show, and your tolerance of this that show delves on how much you like Michael Burnham. If you can't stand her, you ain't gonna like yeah. the series, like because it is her show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think also it has probably. It probably, if not the best time loop episode of any Star Trek. And I say oh, that because yeah. like, there's a lot of really good time loop episodes, but Discovery's one is a really good twist on it and a really good melding of interpersonal drama with it that I personally really appreciate. So yeah. that would be my contender. But even then, because of how badly it ends, I'm like, you know what? I can't say that it's like amazing. Um, but... Yeah, Strange New Worlds easily beats it in terms of yeah. thematic consistency, a higher level of quality. Just It knows exactly what it wants to be and just goes for it. Whereas Discovery, you can feel a lot of the infighting. The same with Voyager, you can feel yeah. a conflict of ideas and stuff that doesn't end up coming out in the wash. I mean, Discovery Whereas... lost like, two showrunners in two seasons, so like that, that was very yeah. much apparent. My, my question to you guys, yeah. okay, so let's loop it back around to sort of pre, pre-May, pre-when the show launched, and... Um, Back when this was first announced, because obviously there was the fan campaign, everyone was clamouring for Pike to have a series after his amazing season two debut in, in Discovery, and that was sort of a lot of that led to, I think, um, uh, Alex Kurtzman and um, Akiva Goldsman having conversations like, is this actually going to be a series? And I remember one of the early interviews, they were like, yeah, this is going to be episodic with some serialised elements. When you first heard that, and you sort of are trying to form something in your mind, do you think that this is actually promised... Done, done what they were setting to to achieve, and did you expect them to, to do that? Uh, yes, and yes. Uh, okay. I well, it yes. I, I think for there to be another series that really set itself apart from the other properties that were going, they they needed to go something like this route. Just uh, like, does it necessarily mean that they needed to go fully episodic? Uh, no, and they didn't. There, mm. I think the 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 episodic nature of the show, as it's done in uh, season one of Strange New Worlds, is kind of the the spoonful of sugar that helps the serialized elements go down. So it's like they <laughs> they still did a lot to uh, you know. Oh. Yes, I know. I'm recording a video right now. <laughs> That's lovely. That look good on you. <laughs> Thank you. Plus <laughs> uh, No, it's okay. But uh, it, it, the making a story that concludes in the same episode does a lot. It, it gives the the writers and stuff a lot of leeway to put little, bot like just bits of the serialized through lines through the story so that 
it's a richer experience, both as like a binge watch, uh, and it's stuff that kind of flies under the radar. So like on rewatches, they're like, oh, they did hint at that there, 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 and there. Uh, and so they, yeah, they just fly under the radar. So yes, I, I did expect them to do what they said they were going to do and make it a serialized show. And I think it was largely successful. So, yeah. So, Doctor, you go first, Austin. Then. No, sorry. Uh, um, I was basically going to say, um, I think another... I, I, I expected a kind of a balance like this, where it would be a roughly self-contained story and it meant, like, you know, 10% serialized elements that were going to manifest in ways that were obvious, where some that were not, some way, you know, like, mm, how quickly is this going to pay off versus not? Um, what I think I really appreciate about how they've done it is, and it kind of, you beg you kind of spurred it in my mind, so going back to Discovery Season 1, part of the reason why that falls apart at the end and why that can be like you know underrated by some and you know, considered to be a weak season is because the, the central thread of the Klingon Federation War pays off kind of badly. It doesn't end on a particularly satisfying note because you're like, this doesn't make any intellectual sense. This is kind of like, well, the season's over, we've got to wrap it up. Um, and when every episode is constantly building to that thing and there's constantly variations on that theme and that, you know, it gives you a really good consistency and it means that you generally have like a good through line through the season. But if it doesn't pay off, you've got a way harder experience because you know that it's not leading to something that you're going to enjoy. Um, whereas with Strange New Worlds, like it, it both ended well with the thematic tie-in of Pike's, you know, like reconciliation with his fate. But also, every single one of these episodes you could watch completely independently, pretty much. Maybe episode mm. 10 would be you'd need to at least have watched Stranger Worlds. Um, and if it had ended badly, I'd still be able to look at a lot of these episodes and be like, that's a really good episode. That's a really good. Like, like if episode 10 had been an utter hash and like your know, Pike's fate had been handled like uh, such a gigabotch. I was we still wanting to go though, back and watch we? Spock. We were all sitting there, kind of going, "We, we want to give this a ten out of ten season." Like, got this last episode, is it? Good? Oh, and it's stuck the landing. But yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like if that had been an utter gigabotch, I still would have been able to go back and watch Spock and Muck and like absolutely have the exact same yeah. amount of fun I had when I first watched it. And that is the strength of this kind of storytelling. Is like you can you can insulate yourself and still create a something that is will work on your way just in case something doesn't pay off but it you, did and that's like can, a um, that's the happy action yeah you can go and watch uh, scorpion part one and two in voyager and go yeah this is great and then just ignore basics part one and two and go oh what what were they doing <laughs> how did the case mm, on do this yeah anyway, sorry <laughs> derail um my, no, you're my, all good. my concerns were with um just previous intent like the the showrunners and uh especially sort of alex kerman's background and uh kiva goldsman's work they're all from serialized t uh, television and our current state of television <laughs> does lend to that so when they said oh yeah we're gonna go episodic i was a bit like yeah you're just throwing that out there for like the old star trek fans that want to come back in like you know we're throwing you a bone and then the, the the thing would be which wouldn't bother wouldn't have bothered me i like i like serialized storytelling i think i think it's fine uh, but then they would have kind of gone and said like okay here it is and you get you kind of they visit a planet maybe one or two episodes but I was very pleasantly surprised when, like, after like, episode three, I'm like, oh, wow, they really are doing this. Like, this is, in this day Completely and age, different episode, yeah. episodic storytelling with a small serialized through current, but it's not really heard of. Like, even even the Orville has its um, 
serialized through lines that are very much prominent mm. in the storylines. So maybe something like The Mandalorian, but only then season still, one no, kind of has that yeah. feel. But even then, it's still more heavily serialized than even this. Like this and, is still yeah. so much more episodic. And it's, it is. It didn't just feel like oh wow they're doing us what us old Star Trek fans want. They're giving us like you know break strange new worlds. It, but it did genuinely feel like a breath of fresh air in a way that I wasn't yeah. expecting. Like I'm watching a TV show, kind of going oh, I don't really have to be paying that much attention to what was going on last week. Or like, okay, because we, we all lamented the fact that they had the previously on Strange New Worlds. And we were like, you don't need this. We, we don't need this. Yeah. You know, it, it seemed a bit unnecessary, but it was, it was... I mean, in a couple of cases, it was detracting it did, from yes. this yeah. bit of the episode. That's one of the few little minus points. So mm. something I really appreciate about this season, and I'm talking about like thematic consistency, it's consistency um, and serialized elements... Do you guys remember those old like Star Trek box sets, um, especially the seven season ones for, like TNG and Voyager? Yeah. And they would always have someone's face on the front of it uh, of a season, right? Hmm. You know, it's like you, know, like you get Worf for season three, you get like you know Janeway for season one, and then you just cycle through that so you have a picture of all the crew. Funny. Um, I feel like if I was going to get a seven season, God, hopefully go for seven seasons, maybe even longer, <laughs> um, box sets of Strange New Worlds. You could put Pike on the cover of season one, yeah. And not only would it be like, "Look, here's your casting. This is his season. This is his story." Almost like incompressed into a ten episode nutshell. This is kind of all you would really need. But we're going to get so much more of them. They're going to go into more detail. But I like that feeling of like it's this nicely episodic package that comes together when you see it as a whole. And that is, yeah. as you say, it's something rare in this day and age. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's. We're talking about saying there's no serialized elements, but they, obviously there are a small one. But the, how they handle it is also, you know, I said this after episode one or episode two. I'm like, this is borderline genius. I was, I was very sort of like appreciative of them doing the show not tell philosophy. There wasn't just people sitting in a room giving exposition. They were doing a lot of work to show the trauma, to show the links, to um, uh, put things in each episode that made complete sense. And I, I'm kind of in, in awe of the writing team and the directing team working so closely together to actually make this happen, um, especially with, like, Pike and that, and, like, every now and then. And when he got to the the last episode, when he got to episode 10, and he reveals that the, the kid on the asteroid station that we all know is the Romy Neutral Zone was one of the kids that goes on to be in the accident that, that Pike's in, I was just like, I, I was as flawed as he was. I was like, holy shit, they've done something magical here. Like, they're bringing things around in full circle. And, you know, obviously, this, this thread is not over yet, but... It it, it it was masterful, honestly masterful. Like right. I've not seen that kind of integration between story and serialization, you know, across a breadth of ten episodes. It, that that hasn't been serialized. You know, obviously something like Daredevil, like obviously every episode leads into the next, but something that is episodic that does tell little hints and give little things going on for it, uh, and then pulls it all together at the end. Just oh, it's good. Makes you happy to watch it. Well, in some ways, it makes it more potent because mm. you when you're watching a serialized story it's it's almost like mentally you're taking notes the entire time it's like okay mm. these are all the things that i think i need to remember and it's it's well that's what you know one of the easy criticisms that you can make on serialized television is like you just it's exhausting mm. to keep up with all of this stuff uh and which is why they do things like you know previously on stuff like that to kind of ease that burden a little bit so when something is more serialized and you know you you don't you know you don't have to 
bring everything that came in the series up to this point to this episode just to enjoy it when there are little nuggets of things that that pay off then and reward you have gone on this whole journey then it's just like oh it's a it's an extra little hit mm. of yeah stuff like and I, I think I have to seize on a point that I think was quite satisfying, like in terms of like our discussions, because this has also been a real joy for us. Like this is a, an experiment for us. We haven't really done a recap format yeah. like this, going yeah. through a season a, a episode, you know, episode by episode every week. Just get to sit down and talk about our feelings about it for an hour and just enjoying this you know, this water cooler moment, essentially, right? Yeah. Um, but what sticks in my brain is that um, when we did our episode three um, recap. And Big was talking about his feelings in regards to Una's uh, Illyrian heritage. And just when that was going to come back up, we were like, well, we don't know. This could be a season two thread. This could come. We were not expecting it to come around and hit us right at the tail end of yeah. the of Pike's big moment. And <laughs> yeah. that's that's the kind of the ultimate example of. You know, these serialized elements, because you are not focusing on them, like, like it came up once or twice. I think the last time they made explicit reference to it was in like um, episode four when he was giving uh, blood to Una. Otherwise, it doesn't really come up. And then suddenly, bam, six episodes later, it's, a, it's now the setting point for season two. That's yeah. going to be our, our big point. Um, and that's a, that's a victory. That is a case of, oh, I was not expecting that. Like, when I was watching episode 10, I, I didn't think we were going to lead straight into the, the Una plot. I figured we are going to be getting some Pike. Okay, there's a hint that something might go wrong for Una, but it can't be that soon, right? Nope, right at the end of the episode. <laughs> and that's the strength of it. It's, it's such, like you said, very well done. Yeah, and then also just that you can think about all the other little dangling threads of things that they just they teased but haven't come back to yet. Like you know, mm. your 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 cybox and your captain's angel and whatnot. Uh, and your, so it's like Carnunian scene, which never went anywhere. Yes. Like this is yeah. that's still an open yeah. question. It's like you gonna just you just have the name? Okay, cool, fine. You're just Carnunian yeah. scene. Okay, yeah, that could be the ultimate like anti Chekhov's gun. It's there. They'll never use it. Never to be like, well, oh, okay. It's like, the, but the the way that this show has been constructed up to this point, because the major criticism of episodic trek is that things happen major things happen like every week and then they have no consequence mm -hmm. later on they just kind of forget about them by the next week it's like you know uh captain picard was a cardassian tortured prisoner have a let's have an episode where they're all turn into monkeys and lizards all right yeah that's fine just, <laughs> just that's, that's, we'll just shrug that off uh <laughs> But this is finding that balance to where you can acknowledge that things happen and they have consequences, mm -hmm. but then also you don't need to have, you know, a dry erase board behind you with a bunch of push pins and red string to tie it all together just to enjoy the plot. So mm -hmm. it's like you say, it's kind of a magic trick. It's just balance. It's mm -hmm. just... Perfectly Delicious. balanced as all things should be. <laughs> I uh, didn't wrong, wrong necessarily want to go to Thanos, but it's, it's hard not to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please, it's so 2019. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, Grandpa. This isn't your dad, it's Deadus. Um, I, I want to draw us on to, because I feel like everyone in this cast has proven their bit. Like, there is no one who is a weak link here. Like, you look at 
DS9 and Alexander Siddig in this first. He's not great. Oh, no. Um, Denise Crosby in season one, like she didn't have great material to work with, but she also was not the best. Like she was so much better when she came back in season three, because that's what happens as an actor, just like any other professional skill, you get better at it. Whereas Strangely Worlds, like we've got a lot of seasoned performers here, like um, Pike and um, Una and Spock all have the advantage of having been seasoned in uh, episode uh, in uh, Discovery season two. So they have a running ground advantage. But again, everyone hit the ground running. And I have to ask, what is you guys' favorite bit of acting? Where someone just was in the role, in the moment, and you just felt it. You were like, because I can think (laughs) of a few moments. I I can think of one. Stuff like... I mean, just give you an example, if if you're struggling... Um, if which you're not, um, Pike's speech at the end of season one, at the end of episode one, where he just, you know, yeah. he's just yeah. acting, like, Anson Mount is just doing his Patrick Stewart acting, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. just yeah. like going for it. So what, what are you, what about you guys? I think, um, just Anson Mount's comedic timing in everything in Spock and Mock was the perfect example of how yeah. good his range was because he went, he goes from like, you know the, the friendly dad captain with his powerful speeches and intellect to just like, perfect witty, that moment where like, Spock and Debring and having swapped bodies are standing in front of each other going, you can probably tell we are different personalities, like, uh, yeah totally, <laughs> it's just like it's like fantastic, I love it so yeah, I, th- I think that's probably my best like acting, like his, his just switch between you know, being serious to just like, comedic timing is, is brilliant uh, Big. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to think because that was going to be my answer too. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. Um, I I would actually pick a different moment uh, from episode one. Maybe mm-hmm. the um, the speech that Pike makes over the uh, the com to everybody as they're leaving to go on the mission. Mm. You know, the, nobody dies. Nobody. This is nobody's last day. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that, that that's that's. It's all Anson Mount, isn't it? It's just mm-hmm. he's it, so good. <laughs> um, well, you know what? Then I'll have to rep someone else. I as much as we didn't like episode nine, just like Andoria hits yeah. so yeah. hard. I, okay, I wouldn't say I didn't like episode 9. I liked most part of it. I just didn't like that Hemmer died. I liked the way he well, died. Yeah. It just could have been done in about four seasons time. That's my, my complaint. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the, thinking the episode 9 was yeah. great, but... Mm. But yeah, okay. it's just like the well, performance is just so strong, and it's not overplayed either, which is yeah, a, that's okay. a, a skill. I thought of another one. Um, mm. it, and it's another uh, Hemmer moment. It's... It, it's abracadabra. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> it's like, that is really yeah, good. That's just full commitment to the the bit. I mean, and yes, it's like he's he's sold to be the hero in that moment. But yeah, it's just that's that's good stuff, man. You're not wrong. <laughs> Um, I'd also like to rip um, Ethan Peck because like he's just so consistently excellent that it's almost like you kind of forget. Um, I have two yeah. moments. I really loved the end of the mind meld with Lan in episode four, where you get that speaking of Vulcan and you get that tiniest little hint of Burnham. And like, if you know, if you've seen this season two, you're like, oh, okay, that's mm. like, you are thinking of her constantly, huh? Um, and then the way that Lan brings him up on it and then he just goes 
frosty <laughs> in a way that Spock does not usually get frosty. Like, yeah. Even with people throwing racist abuse his way, he does not get frosty. But the instant you bring that up, he's like, I think we should end this moment. And there is no talking about it. Can we talk about how much actual Spock we got? Because, like, we got a lot more Spock moments than I anticipated. Um, I was expecting to go, okay, Ethan Peck's in this as Spock, and we know a lot about Spock. Like, they won't do too much backstory with him. They're like, no, they're doing a lot with him. Like, there's a lot of stuff with his human Vulcan heritage they're fleshing out, especially the surprise of, like, having to bring in so many episodes and his the interactions he has with Chapel. Yeah. Like, in this whole series, we got a lot more Spock, which is great, because Ethan Peck is brilliant. He's a brilliant Spock. So, so it's, it's glad that we get to show that off, and him being probably, you know, number two, character number two, essentially, outside of Anson Mount. So Sort of makes sense but yeah was how much mm. they're going into it because like spock is one of the most fleshed out characters anyway and we're getting more of it so yeah and it they didn't yeah. do it badly as well that's yeah that's they, the thing they, they, I, yeah. I was gonna say my my other big spot moment is episode 10 not just his nimoy impression which is impeccable mm. um but it's the moment at the end of the episode when um pike says you are very important to me mm-hmm. and he says as you are to me chris and it's just it's such a small thing, but from Vulcans, yeah. you search for those small moments. It's the it's the Tuvok putting his foot out for Neelix moment, where you're like, yeah. for a Vulcan, you might as well be saying you love him. It's so, like, so well played and so tender. I think Ethan Peck has that great comedic timing as well. Like, the little sort of nods and little sarcastic remarks he like puts out there. This It's very, very Spock-like humour that he likes to have, like, especially with uh, with Chapel when he turns around and goes, yes, I know it was a joke. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then you know what? I had to ask, what's your favourite Spock humorous moment? Because there's so many, and hard mm. mode, you can't pick Spock and Mock. I knew you were going to say that. Oh, you, gosh, can't gonna it. you can't pick it. You can't pick here. it. Because <sighs> for me, okay. it has to be episode 10, Pike and him in the briefing room. I was gonna say, yeah, that, no, it's like <laughs> I do not drink coffee. I do drink tea. Then we like some tea. No captain. No, Just <laughs> every time yeah. I see it, I laugh so hard. It's <laughs> so well done. Oh, I can't think that uh, was going to be my one. So uh, maybe uh, Children of the Comet, where he's trying to give Ahura the pep talk, and he botches it the first time. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one. And... He, he basically asks him for a feedback at the end of it, like he's a survey. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> at the end of this call, would you rate on a scale of one to five? <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't uh... think of one other than those two, because yeah, I think that's, that's the top of it. Oh, maybe, yeah, he... maybe with him talking to Tapring over the comms when him and Chapel he's trying to pretend that he's like not in love with Chapel. He's sitting there trying to bullshit things in front of Angel. Maybe that that was quite good. But and then Chapel's heart also... is breaking. <laughs> oh yeah, I also really enjoy the uh, the spit take he does when Tapring is talking oh, about God, human yes. sexuality. Ah uh, no, you <laughs> so said we could pick Spock and Mock. You were cheating here. That's not Spock and Mock. That's episode seven. Oh shit! Yeah, it is, yeah. isn't it? Fuck. See? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> All right. Yes, but that was good. We should, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Um, moving apace. So this is a throwback. It's a massive throwback, not just to a different style of television, but also in terms of Star Trek style. Like, <clears throat> when Dax and Cisco and Co. go back to um, Trials and Tribulations... Um, you know, like Jack spends half the episode just gushing about 23rd century design, you know, like yeah. black finish, silver highlights, 
And they really kind of lean into that 60s mm. retro vibe. It's not too oblique. It's like, if anything, it reminds me a bit more of like some of the modern Bond movies where they harken back to more of the Connery style, where it's like you're taking some of the aesthetic, but you're not going for a pastiche or a, a throwback. You're just lifting it into the aesthetic and making it work. Because there's stuff like... Yeah. Um, like Chapel's dress in like um, Spock and Mark, where it's like that's a very sixties style dress, or the uh, tricorder design, which is upgraded but yeah. still very much just the classic twenty first century. Box, isn't so, it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, what's your favorite bit of you know sixties, like either style or a species or a character mm. that has been taken into twenty twenty two and redesigned, and why do you think that it's so strong? Gosh, I should have prepped this. <laughs> well, I, I, I have several. Um, mm. So, the the obvious ones for me, um, the the update on the um, TOS style EV suits, where mm. it yeah. kept a lot of the the color scheme, and it is you can very much see the beekeeper outfit from you know Tholian Web. Tholian Web, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. It's it's there, but then they actually made it a, look like a functional environmental suit. Um, mm. So that that that's an easy one. Um, the the update. Well, you know what? I shouldn't just eat it all up because you you guys might have ones too. But one that I didn't really uh, you know kind of grok at first, but it, because at, at first I I kind of got lost in the the you know the apple store enterprise bridge kind of thing which it was isn't as bad as it is in like you know jj trek but oh yeah it's still it still mm. didn't really read for me as the enterprise bridge at first but the way that they did all of the instrument panels to where they still mm. have oh, so you know, good yeah oh my but god they, that, yeah, that blends to... right sorry sorry to cut you off but that blend where you got the, no, the overarching uh circular control panel with the classic little no nodules in them just like Oh, yes. I, I want that in front of me. Yes. I want to be sitting. I, yeah. I wish I was better at DIY. Well, <laughs> and it's like, and you can, you absolutely see Spock's science station as Spock's science station mm. from the bridge. You see Ohura's uh, communications station as that. And it's like, I appreciated that more and more the more I saw and the more detail I saw in it. While at the same time still having enough modern touches that you could think, okay, if you're going to move that forward from today's tech to that you can see it from there it's 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 functional mm. so that that that's your secret my secret uh best glow up so mm. yeah idle i think it's it's the enterprise itself like we'd seen it at the mm. end of disco season two very briefly in discovery season two and a little bit in one of the short treks but the amount of love they've given it in this series the amount of because they've redesigned it ever so slightly i think they've made it bigger as well i think they changed the dimensions of it as they want to do which pisses people off but fine um but they've really nailed the like because the jj trek stuff the the 09 enterprise was very much a this is a much more futuristic enterprise it's a completely different refit but they managed to know that this is going to be the enterprise we see in the future and keep it into the state of the canon and make it look gorgeous like i prefer this enterprise to the the, the it's like this is heresy to some people but i prefer it to the original series one because original series one is is a bit of a basic model but it is the pioneering model that everyone bases every design yeah. off but this is a loving remake of it complete with you know the spinning 
uh, the spinning nacelles and the deflect edition, everything, with a few little things where they indent the saucer section with that new uh, windowed gallery and things like that. Um, and to even showing where things are on the ship, like the galley is on the front of the ship. You're seeing the walk, you know, it's the 10 forward of the ship and things like that. And uh, you know exactly where everything is. And yeah, the, the Enterprise has definitely been my favourite. This is right. what they've done with it. Because it's an iconic ship. You, you've got to do it you, right. You want, a hot, you want a hot take? Go on. I think I like this Enterprise better than the TOS movie version of the enterprise the refit Mm. yeah because okay well because yes the 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 tos uh, movie models are gorgeous Mm -hmm. and Mm. they are an extension of that original classic design uh that basically improves on it in every way uh but like as you say it's like there's just so much more detail which you can do with with CG, obviously. Mm. So yes, you can s- just see all the little things, and whereas like you look at the the movie versions of the ship, it's just kind of flat. You know, it's like may- maybe you've got some windows here and there, but other than that, you really don't have a lot making it look like yeah. a functional ship that has a bunch of different uh, things and parts and departments and all of that so but this you you do so it it carries forward everything that you like and love about previous versions of the enterprise and just adds to it so i I, yeah let's let's adding on to that oh go on sorry well adding on to that does it not make you even sadder now thinking about star trek 3 when you know that pike's enterprise gets oh, blown up over the genesis planet because yeah. like i was re i was re-watching um such spock just like you i was like no that's pike's enterprise you just blew up pike's enterprise <laughs> it's like, i care well. about that now it makes it oh, feel like it has yeah. so much more history than just three years of kirk and a movie it's like you see that and it's like there is that is a yeah. that is a ship with a history and a tradition and it's lost and it's like Pike would approve. He'd be like, "Yeah, no, fuck it. You blow up the Enterprise a million times if it means that Spock's lives. That's the entire yeah. point of like episode ten. But it does make it hit that much harder. And that's like real. If you can say that about a prequel, guess what? Your prequel succeeded. Absolutely. You know? Um, just, just sort of looping back around to what we're saying about you know the design of it. What we could have got is if you've seen the TOS remasters where they decided to change everything to CG and that model is not the nice like when everyone's tried to do a CG model of like it's even in Trials and Tribulations Tribulations I can never say that Tribulations Trials and Tribulations thank you (laughs) I sound like Porky Pig there (laughs) that's all folks Um, yeah if you look at that CG model it's like yeah it's very much taking this is what was in TOS and we've just rendered it in Blender like it doesn't look good I think this is a much more modern take with better rendering and it's it just it shows yeah absolutely um my pick for best redesign might well go to the type f shuttlecraft because they they really do a good job of taking what was kind of an awkward ugly looking box yeah, into us. Like, it's still like it's it's cute, and I love the stuff like the hand signing of like Galileo on the like because yeah. they all had their names. Um, and it makes it look like so much more of a ship that could take a beating. Like if you told me that a Type F shuttlecraft was like you know t- nudging off a supplementation of a comet and got hit, I'd be like that thing never survived. Screw <laughs> that. That thing blew up like quicker than anything in Voyager ever had. But I look at the one that they have in Stranger Worlds, so I'm like, this is such a elegant design, and it feels like it's part of the same design lineage yeah. of the Enterprise. Um, 
I love that they kept stuff like the weird little circular viewers on the side. Oh, um, yeah, but yeah. it's an actual sh a functional shuttlecraft that feels like it could be used for shuttlecrafty missions, like in Episode Four when they got Scout on the Gorn. Like it feels like it can contribute and hold its own in a way that I don't feel like the original. It, but it's partly just a case of the limitations of the effects at the time. But such a nice update on it, and getting to see it in action was really, really good fun. Can um, I, um, can I can also, interject uh, with, my, with, with another redesign of something I thought of, uh, and is the uniforms. The uniforms mm. were... wasn't expecting them to redo the uniforms when they first came out with this, because we'd seen the Season 2 Discovery ones, uh, and they were like, these are great. Yeah. And at first when I saw these ones, I'd be like, oh, are they, they're redesigned, these don't look... But as the season went on, I love them more and more. Like, they are... they absolutely mm. fit the aesthetic. And looking at the evolution, because if you looked at one of the episodes, they had a background picture of... Uh, Captain April and assuming his commander Pike at the time wearing the old cage style ones, which you know with the basic the turtleneck jumper kind of thing. I love that. And yeah. so they're actually establishing a period. Or uh, you know, you know how fanatical I am about like uniform like consistency. They are they are saying like, oh yeah, the cage ones were used here, which would have fit with the cage. Then they went to the Disco Season Two ones where they had the fancy black collar, and now they're going on to these ones, which fit much more in line with what we know in TOS. So I I really yeah. appreciate that as a a way forward. Mm. I also, just as a thing, I appreciate the differentiation between science and medical blue and having a, a nurse's outfit that is bright white, which was on the big holdovers from Discovery that I liked so much, mm, and having the medical yeah. white. Um, just from an operational standpoint, it makes sense. And I like the visual contrast. I'm that nerd that I like the bright primary colours. It just <laughs> pops better on yeah. the eye, right? Um, I, I None of this mixing pastels first... nonsense. <laughs> I absolutely adore the first contact uniforms, but especially when you watch them for multiple, multiple seasons, they yeah. do get a bit grey. Having yeah. bright contrast, like in the Discovery Season 4 and now here, it works so much better. It helps it feel a bit more Trek, honestly. Yeah. Well, okay, since nobody else mentioned it, I just figured somebody else was going to pick it up. The other fantastic redesign to me was the redesign of the Romulans and the Romulan uniforms. Oh, yeah. In, uh, in <sighs> yeah. Quality of Mercy. That was good. So good. Because, like, you, like we've talked about all these other things, it carried forward so many of the things that we loved about the original versions of them, and then just made made them work. Made them work in a modern context in a show in 2022. So mm. that, that was my other pick, and I just wanted to leave it out there for someone else to pick up. But since no one did, I will I will take that one myself too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. It like. I love those original Romulan TOS outfits. I watched Bounce of Terror just prior to watching Quality of Mercy because I had a feeling that that's what the episode was going to be from like the trailers. Um, and me and my friend Katie, like she, the sixties and thirties are dated, but even her, as someone who does not massively love TOS, who like is watching this for the first time, she saw that contrast of like the chainmail design and the sash, and was like, "That's a fresh design. That's a good look." Mm. And to see them come back and be given such love and a nice update that also feels consistent with what we see in TNG and Enterprise and Nemesis in terms of like that gold and gray at green sort of like design is such a nice unification of design. It just feels like <laughs> such a nice. So you did that. Yeah. Unification. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that's maybe a, a, a thing. It's like, yes, the, the, the Romulan uniforms in TNG and DS9 kind of became their own kind of iconic in their mm. own way but it's like seeing what they've done on strange new worlds now makes me think it's like 
man, could they have found a way to have done that instead? It's like keep some keep some of the purple, you know, keep some of yeah. the, the, the color and the the life to it instead of just you know making the big shoulder pads, box. massive shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was the eighties. You can't get away from that. I feel like yeah. Especially if you think about the contrast with the Klingon designs, which they, they held over from motion picture, but especially like Wolf's um, Sash, for example, it's such a nice update on the yeah. Sash that the um, Core had in the original series. And it's like, yeah, they didn't really retain as many of those elements as they did for the Romulans. So it was nice to see that come back with such force. And I hope that that kind of influences Romulan design language going forward. Sure. Um, we could rave about oh. how good this show looks for ages. It looks Very so good. good. There's so there's very little that falls flat. Um, I'm going up to a nine and a half in my ratings just for the last half. An hour. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, so, oh, you know what? Then we had to take a downer. Okay. okay. So we we can't. I have to dis- disclose our biggest disappointment. And it cannot be Hemmer because I think the fandom at large was just disappointed about what happened with Hemmer. So, apart from the fate of our beloved chief, we're never going to be over it. (laughs) Never, never. It's a pain Um, that will not go away. (laughs) So, what is your biggest non-Hemmer disappointment from season one? For me, I think it's fairly clear the utter lack of development of una as a character over mm-hmm. season one apart from just you know the establishing that she is an illyrian and then paying that off at the end of the season there's almost nothing like she gets to be a buddy cop with with lawn for one episode and then in other episodes they just they find reasons to take her out of the story in the way that they really don't for any other member of the cast so mm. I, I, think I, see, I see your Una and I raise you an Ortegas who didn't even get a singular episode like Una did. Yeah. She had moments, yeah. but yeah, you're right. She didn't yeah. have a, a, a thing. Yeah. So, but your point is still absolutely valid. Absolutely feel yeah. you on that. I yeah. don't, I don't think I can say that was anything that really disappointed me that I think that they won't solve in season two. So Una will uh, look absolutely like she will get more, uh, development going forwards and Ortegas has, has to have something like who just needs some more background I, I would say uh, my disappointment was a little bit of a technical disappointment with um, um, Benga's daughter uh, how like it's like oh she's just sitting in the transporter buffer and then it just pulls her out of story time and then she like, in her perspective she comes out has a story comes out has a story comes out I was a bit like needed to think that one through a little bit more because there was just a bit of like uh, she's in there but mm, yeah and the whole kind of I, I i know some people were i wasn't quite as um enthused about her treatment as because i think you and me big disagreed on this we had completely different answers yeah. to the, the, this question you gave us stars in that episode like how would you as a father yeah. treat that as one of your children i was just like no i wouldn't want to let her go like <laughs> like this is um you know but how that quickly just sort of went from just like i'm i'm here to save my daughter and then oh she's gone and i'm fine and that's one of those moments where it's a classic star trek like next episode he's all good um yeah. so yeah it's yeah, that that's probably one of my my specific disappointments. My other disappointment would be Captain Battelle would always have something cooked for her by Pike and would never eat it. How dare she? He made her breakfast. She just left. He then came back and went, "I've got, I've made this lovely carbonara." She's like, oh, "Spaghetti again?" Takes a mouthful and off. <laughs> so okay. yeah, maybe that's my other. 
actually something that's not specific to a character, but maybe is a disappointment, especially on a show with only 10 episodes. Uh, so it just kind of demands to be rewatched, uh, especially if you like it and you're just like, well, I've got to watch all this again is the, um, the, the dropped threads and red herrings that have kind hmm. of come up because, you know, we talked about the, the, the limited amount of serialization elements that come up in the story. So, and uh, bringing up Rukia kind of made me think of that. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the red herrings of potential ways to, to cure her condition, you know, stuff like the, uh, you oh, know, the lift right, us up yes. where suffering can't reach uh, to where that's a potential solution to yeah, it. Yeah, they really and, tease that out there. They were sort of going to be like, I'm going to share my research yeah. with you and there could be a potential uh, thing here. And I went, no, they're just going to ignore that. She's so, just going to yeah, go off with no. a space alien. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, just uh, bits of the, the Gorn story that just kind of at this point just are paid off with a hour-long monster movie uh, that also kind of feels like a season of build-up for something that isn't necessarily all that satisfying. So that, that is a, something that rings a little disappointing to me mm. is that, that, that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, for me, I would have to say I am a little bit disappointed in the lack of LGBT representation. Mm. Um, you have the non-binary character of Captain Angel. Um, I, I've talked about the complicated sort of like aspect of that in that recap. Um, and if you're interested in in that, then uh, go and have a look at the actress uh, who plays uh, Jesse James, James uh, Kaitel. Yeah. yeah. Um, on Twitter, they have talked. Uh, she has talked at a length about the character and its history in regards to trans characters and I stuff like that. I actually didn't know she was trans the whole until after mm. the episode. So that was, you know, mm. speak to her to the, yeah. the influence. So, so yeah, so like you know, that, that's his own conversation. I feel like she was a mm. great performer, and I, mm. I quite like the character. Aside from the I'm hamminess, but to come back. If she was wow. told to do I love the hamminess and did hammy yeah. well, like fine. Like it was a switch between yeah. how I am the bird guy. Um, so yeah. that that was. That own complete with that, not anything to do with yeah. acting. <laughs> um, and apart from that, the only mention we get is the teasing that Chapel might be bisexual. Mm. Um, it's it's in kind of a throwaway line. Most of her romantic lines are in relation with Spock, um, and she specifically says the right guy. Um, I'm just a little bit disappointed because after Lower Decks has gone on to show us like some good like like um like LGBT stuff, after Discovery has Discovery. Like, five or yeah. six yeah. main characters who are gay, trans, non-binary, queer of some description, and for Strange New Worlds not to have a single one really, apart from maybe Chapel, feels like a bit of a step well, backwards. There was um, um, Elysian Kingdom where like, and this is one of the things I hate about like um, very obvious shoehorning in of sort of gay representation. So like, oh yes, we're an item. Oh yes, we very much are. So like, we're doing this, and that's uh, there was a Doctor Who. There's episode... always been a pool on the roof of the school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like a Doctor Who episode with two of the I think I forget her name now the lizard character and her in the in the nineteen oh uh, Madame Vastra and Madame Vastra yeah. that's right and they're like yeah. we're lesbians don't you know yes we do we are all doing it all the time we're lesbians like yes we know you don't have to like say it a hundred times it's great but like uh, yeah that felt like a bit like that is just like here's your representation now shut up <laughs> I, I I'm fine with it mostly because of the fanficy um fandom reclamation context of that. But it's just a case of 
that wouldn't even register to you as a queer baity weird moment if there were a single gay character in the cast. Yeah. Um, or well, so it doesn't even have to be gay. Had, it could had... be like bisexual or just like anything. Mm. Like, it's space in the 23rd century. Are you really telling me that no one is like, they're all straight? Why do you think Pike's well, cooking I, I... so many so many people food and having so <laughs> many parties? There's a pot in the middle of that room with keys in it. You know it. <laughs> tricorders, I, sorry, I, tricorders. I, I thought I had read that um, Melissa Navia considered her character to be yeah. on that spectrum also, but the, right, as yeah. of right now, it's not it's not text. It's yeah. it's subtext. You have to read that into it. So yeah, they can yeah. It, more I, I read that interview and she's like, you know, like queer energy. It's like, guess what? Melissa Navi, I fucking love her. Twitter mm. is in- incredibly engaging. She is like a strong, wonderful, good, gifted performer. And it's guess what? That's my other big disappointment of the season is that yeah. Ortegas did not get more development. But, yeah. um, you don't want but that is not just... the same as text. No. You don't yeah, want them to just man. do it to tick a box, though, do you? Which is where Discovery has yeah, been yeah. quite good with LGBT representation, especially like they've won awards for it with like Stamets and Culver and like um, Adira oh, and yeah. Gray. Um, like that's felt very natural in how they've done that. Um, but you wouldn't want Stranger Worlds to go like, ah, oh, crap, we need a bisexual character. Okay, Ortegas is just going to be kissing this girl in the background. Like, what? You don't, you don't want them to do it and then just yeah. go, oh, look, pointing fingers. You need it to be a bit more realistic and a bit more accepting. No, absolutely. Yeah, so but I, it's I, just a case of, so, so I'm going to get cynical here, and I don't actually believe this, but here's the thing. This is the optics of this, right? Is So Discovery is, is divisive for many reasons. Mm. Um, lower Decks is your... People will probably consider it questionable canon, like a comedy spinoff. Um, Picard is also divisive for other reasons. So you launch your big flagship show, which is as safe as it can be in terms of you know, it's like literally most half the cast of TOS characters. It's all throwing back to the original, back to the intro, and then you coincidentally put out a, a nicely diverse cast in terms of skin color, in terms of you know, like. Um, uh, gender, but not a gay person on the thing, not an non-binary or transgender, apart from one villain and an offhand reference to a potential liaison, mm. and that almost seems to me like we have to put the gays in the other shows, and this is the safe one, <laughs> so that people can watch it and not be offended. It now, is, guess what? Yeah. I don't believe that. I don't. No. I am not that cynical. Um, and so, guess what? I, full disclosure: if it's not clear from watching our other videos, I am a gay man, so I have feelings about this. Um, Me and Ben, I don't believe that. I, I have... So we have no comment. First <laughs> thing, you're more, you're more than welcome to give your thing. It's just a case of like, I feel like I have to speak on these issues, right? Um, is that I like this show a lot, and I take it at face value, but it does just disappoint me a little bit when I see almost every other show in this lineup having at least a character, someone in the background. Like, Lower Dexas has, like, people kissing in the background all the time, and they can be male, female, not, uh, like, yeah. aliens, and th- it's, it's oh, just not um, commented on. Because that's the wrong record to have having, you know, many sexual liaisons with yeah. all sorts of gender species or mineral compositions. Exactly. Like, she limits herself to anything. I think it's quite endearing. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And that's the Roddenberry utopia, right? Like, Roddenberry would oh, approve God. of that. Yeah, like, Roddenberry, no, yeah whatever, absolutely. Afford- the Roddenberry utopia is everyone doing anything to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all Edo all the time. Mm. Um, and it does just disappoint me that the show that I otherwise love so very much does not have queer representation. I'm hoping that's something that might change. Mm. We're having a, a new main character introduced next season. There is also a possibility that Ortegas will get developed and she might get another relationship. Um, I mean, they've Una's, mentioned Una's stuff in Chapel. Maybe never, that will get... Una's sexuality is never Yeah, that's also true. Out. Yeah. 
I would be very interested to see any of these characters. I would, I would be, I would welcome it because it's because yeah. of like, like there is so much good rep in the other shows, and I believe that Star Trek is about that as a as yeah. a franchise, as a, a a vehicle for storytelling. Just come on, throw us a bone. But that's that. That's your last you'll hear on me about it. I'm I'm not a militant. The thing of like, <laughs> so oh, you convinced me. You convinced me. I'm down to a nine. I was up to a nine five. I'm down to a nine now. <laughs> <laughs> All Guess right. what? Still, uh, still more queer rep than ninety percent of the other like landing well, shows. Especially Enterprise was aggressively hetero. <laughs> Enterprise was so heterosexual; it was like, offensive. With yeah, the where, where's my Stranger Worlds decon scene? <laughs> it's like, didn't they retire these hundred years ago? We've still got one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find a way. Hmm. Um, so yeah, those are my disappointments. Um, okay. So now that I've talked to you about down to a nine, I've talked you back up to a nine point five. Okay, um, <laughs> bring me there. What was your favorite Starship porn moment? Because guess what? Th- this we, we have a good friend, Automaton Two Thousand. He's done a few of these videos with us. He unfortunately could not be with us here today. He, he was nearly um, here. Yeah. He was yeah. very nearly here. Yeah. We really wanted him on, but we could not talk him down. Yeah. Um, he has to go in with a skirmish. And he wanted more money. <laughs> <laughs> he had to go in with a skirmish or something. It's fine. Mm. Um, but we three here. I feel like me and I, especially a big. You actually have schematics on your wall. We are. We love our ships. We love mm. the ladies of the space lanes. We love. <laughs> we love a good pair of amp on the cells, right? So <laughs> I just watched Show Nine as well. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've already talked a lot. I gushed about the redesign of the Enterprise, but what is the moment where you just looked at something in space, okay. whether it was the Enterprise yeah. or the Farragut or one of the other ships, and we're like, gorgeous. I what have, was your moment? I have two. So I have two. My mm-hmm. first one is is not the Enterprise. But they both actually don't involve the Enterprise much, anyway. Uh, first mm. one is from uh, Memento Mori, when they're being hunted by mm. the uh, the Gorn ships. And that one moment where that Gorn mothership comes out of that cloud, and you just see the cloud parting way for this big-ass, mm. twisted ship coming out. It's just like, oh, that looks so good. Looks that that really Star good. Trek insurrection moment through the yes, Briar Patch. Yes, it was. Yes, yeah. it was the sonar ship coming out of the, 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 the Baku Nebula. What was it? No, the Briar Patch. The Briar Patch, that's the yeah, one. Yeah. Um, my other one was, like you say, the Farragut was that gorgeous mm. shot as they're tailing the Romulan ship through and you see the silhouette of the Farragut as on from the perspective of the Enterprise through the ice tail of the comet. As it's like, oh, so lovely. So good. Yeah. Mm. Big? Okay. Uh, well, it's like I'm I'm the noted ships. I mean, schematics aside, I am <laughs> like I, the ships are not the main course for me on mm. on the series. But uh, so I have a couple of things. One is not a uh, you know a ship hero moment. It's just something that I thought was cool. And it's another thing for Memento Mori, and that is when the uh, the Gorn ship implodes under the, the weight of the black hole yeah like that i felt like that was really well done uh and then another one is uh i believe it was in spock Amok, the uh the solar sail ship where oh, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot that. About that. and then even the you know the moment where they raise the federation flag and they're saying it's like we we accept your terms and mm. so just yeah bringing back the solar sail ship that was that was an awesome piece of uh callback for me even though it's mm. obviously before that in time in a totally different context but you know just anybody that has seen mm. this man it's like oh i know what that is and uh, so, can, I, can i interject yeah. and just like that whole sequence where 
those aliens and everyone's thinking oh they're just reading the person on the opposite's reactions and reacting accordingly and pike just breaks it down at the end and goes just like yeah. no no they just want to be heard and that was just like oh, that that that's kind of one of my favorite pike moments he just he just explains yeah, it in a was... co- in almost like columbo way at the end of an episode is like no no like this is what they're doing because <laughs> he's literally saying to, to, to fucking his, his immediate superior his previous captain robert yeah. april hero of the federation uh come on man where's the where's the drama if i just tell you what i'm gonna do yeah <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry to sidetrack on that, but that just reminded me of that no, no, pretty no, awesome moment. Um, so I have a few. One that I absolutely love, and again, it's from Spock and Mark from the pretty much the same scene. I absolutely adore the shots of the conference room when the Enterprise is just sitting there. Hmm. When it's just like that view of it oh, just yeah. sitting in Star dark. Base, whatever it is, Starbase One or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, Starbase One, and you can just see it just sitting there, and it's like, man, that is a good-ass-looking ship. It's just like, you look right sitting there. Um, I absolutely also love the moment in Episode 4 where they're drawing up on the Gorn ship, and it's through the cloud, through the the, the brown dwarf just dissolving around them, and you just see the Enterprise do this amazing turn around, and then, like, it does a very Wrath of Khan-style reorientation, and for a moment, even though it's still that, it has all the same design elements as that Matt Jeffrey 60s design, that weird, bumpy, like, saucer with, like, some bits stuck on the end, looks very aggressive for a moment and i like it when a starship can manage to look aggressive through foot and especially because it also zooms way in on the torpedo tube which is like oh, the such a, a it's all about tube, the details yeah. <laughs> well yeah because you get to actually see where the torpedo tubes are on the tos wow. enterprise which are always like you know they they could come out anywhere on the in the tos effects it's like oh we're sh- are we shooting phasers or totons we can't be sure the effects yeah. guy is just doing whatever today um <laughs> I also absolutely adore, um, there's sort of two in episode 10, when the Farragut gets completely destroyed oh, yeah. by the Bird of Prey. It gets fucked it's, up. There's it an extended really, sequence, isn't it? It really like shows off the destructive power of that plasma torpedo. Like You see it, and it just 86s it in an instant. Mm. And there's just this incredible, you can just see it bleeding life support into space. And you're like, that thing can't hit the Enterprise. The Enterprise will die. Um, so when it gets fired at the Enterprise and it just hits it head on, you're like, oh, that's going to hurt. And it's like when they say, oh, man, we lost fire control. I was like, you're lucky that's all you lost. That could have been real bad. Um, <laughs> we lost the cappuccino machine. <laughs> Shit. Oh, God. <laughs> all the glasses in 10 forward are broken. <laughs> all of them. Um and I also absolutely love that moment when Kirk brings the drone fleet up to form a protective shield for the Enterprise. Yeah. Um, one of them gets completely uh, destroyed by one of the plasma torpedoes, and you get that wash back of all the energy, and yeah. it like buffets it like a wave, and then they have to warp out of there. Like that is such a like I appreciate that for you know a, a season of Star Trek. You can sometimes go, you know, like DS9, for example, they get really into the Starship combat and really mm. give it that, like, loving detail. But here, we kind of don't get a lot of extended sequences of ship battle. Like, the most we get is Memento Mori, but it's mostly a game of cat and mouse, not, like, straight well, strangers of fire. Yeah. It, it made um, me think. It's there, like... There was... well, go ahead, go ahead. Your point. Well, I was going to say, one thing I love about, like, Star Trek, and it's, like, it's part of the reason why Wrath of Khan works so well, is there is never a moment when two ships are firing at each other and they both have their shields up 
is then you have the Voyager problem of, oh, shields are at a XYZ percentage for drama, but we're actually fine because we're going to do an extended sci-fi gizmo bullshit. It's like every time they come into contact with like another ship, either they massively outclass it or they're massively outclassed by it, and shields will help, but they will not save them, or they're down because they're in the brown dwarf, or because there is a fucking fleet that is about to kick their ass. It's never about tactical superiority. It's always about intellectual innovation. And I appreciate that as a Starfleet and Star Trek ethos. All that said, I did think of another moment that is kind of counter to that. I, I, mm. At least my read of it is, is the uh, the bit in uh, Children of the Comet. Oh, where they are fleeing that. the shepherds yeah. and Ortegas is having to, you know, yeah, try and do, do her best to... Navigating I'm literally that. holding That's that on the tip my... of my tongue as you just said it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that may be the most like ship to ship combat that we. But they never fire phases. But they fire phases no, once no, in that encounter, just... which I really appreciate. Mm, it's like yeah, that's kind of thing into it. And in terms of the yeah, starship porn, like seeing that in context, like I saw it in the trailer, and I was like, oh, okay, that's a cool effect shot. But seeing it in context is like Ortegas's big moment, like makes mm. an instant impression. Like that's way more impressive to me than almost. Anything Tom Paris did across his seven seasons, <laughs> apart from maybe the Dota Flyer. No, this is the cool um, Tom Paris, we know that. <laughs> it's true. And then uh, I just thought of the, the maybe the just the most, the prettiest thing that I saw mm. that, from a space context in, in the season was just that initial shot of the outpost in uh, Quality of Mercy where they're panning mm. out from that. Oh, yeah. Just see oh, yeah, you got the two starships. Yeah, 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 that's really good. Yes. Yeah. That's that's really good. Um, oh, you know what? I have to give a shout-out to the intro sequence, which is, like, we were a little bit lukewarm on the um, opening music. I've started to really warm to it. I like it. But yeah. even from the like, moment one, the visuals on the opening sequence were just sublime. They were equal, if not better, than Voyagers for the time. Um, especially the shot of that pinky blue nebula and you just see the Enterprise at a distance just slowly entering it. It's like that just so well done, so beautifully yeah. detailed. Like they really they, they, they put in the work in there. And also a really good detection of a black hole in episode four. Like that is a really like you know, not quite interstellar, but close in terms of how detailed and pretty. So like some of the stuff that they did in the intro for a strange new world is so good that mm. I um, I request and require Lower Decks to do some kind of spoof <laughs> on it. Oh, I'm sure we, you've heard the news. I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I interject fair. with uh, this is wrapping this small little section up? Uh, would you like to know some of the other things that Henry Alonso Myers, the showrunner of Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, has done? He has worked mm, on the TV me. show Charmed. He's worked okay. on Ugly Betty. He's worked on okay, Chuck, like you do. Uh, right. uh, the Carrie Diaries, oh, and the Magicians, and then straight on. Oh, to that's Strange. the one with Rebecca Romaine. Uh, oh, I was know she, that, was she that, that, at least she. The... Okay. Yeah. But um, and then straight on Strange Worlds. But I was just sort of looking through his resume and just kind of going like, well, these this is nothing like science fiction. He's gone on yeah. from these shows to kind of just make an amazing first season of Star Trek. Like, why has he been hiding? Yeah, like... Get him on earlier. All, all these you usually you look at somebody and it's like oh they were on did Babylon Five and Battlestar Galactica <laughs> and it's like some, stuff like it but yeah this is that's a total left turn absolutely yeah it, it's like what it's like when I heard that Ronald D Moore was working on For All Mankind I was like yeah that tracks 
that that makes perfect yeah. sense. But you tell me this guy worked on Charmed and Chuck, and like, <laughs> I guess I can kind of see it because he's got really good situational comedy like props. But like, sir, sci-fi guy seems to be very, very he has yeah. very particular tastes. Yeah, but yeah, just thought I'd mention it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, good on so him, he's true awesome. MVP. It makes me want to go back and yeah, watch yeah. Ugly Betty. <laughs> Come on. Hey, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're all good. Um, I'll see it again for the first time, as it would actually be my first time. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so, now the real MVP of any Star Trek fan's heart is, of course, the Enterprise. Um, but what was your who was your personal most valuable player, your MVP of Season 1 of Star Trek Training Worlds? Hmm. Who just filled you with joy every time they were on screen? Well, you almost—the default answer has to be Pike, I think. Yeah, I mean, he—he kind—he—he kind of—he drives the bus of the whole thing. He's especially this season being largely focused around his story and his plot. So I think I'm going to have to put Pike off to the side just to come up with a more interesting. <laughs> yeah, the, the disqualify yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think in some ways. Um, it it's counterintuitive, but I might say Uhura, mm, and it's okay. it's in it. You have to hear me out on it a little bit. Uhura kind of became the audience proxy for a lot of this series because mm. they they had the the plot thread of her doing rotations through the different departments and interacting one on one, you know, with Hammer and Lon. And it, it's like she had her moments and she did very well. You know, stuff like in Children of the Comet, uh, where she stepped up and uh, took control of a situation and helped work things out. And, uh, you know, Memento Mori, where she solved the problem with Hammer. But I think also Uhura kind of helped us get to know the rest of the cast better and deeper. And it was also... Uh, I didn't expect much from Uhura as a character, as just kind of mm. a, a legacy character that through three seasons of television and six movies, we never really got to know that much about. Mm. Uh, but we She didn't more... have a name until the 2009 movie. Yeah. So uh, we learned more about her story in a dinner uh, in one episode of Strange New Worlds than we did in all of that other media and then also just coming into her own as a character learning her journey to becoming the ahura of tos which is not a story that i even really thought i would like to know but hmm. now i do and then also combine that with the the things that she did for the other characters kind of helping bring the whole thing together so she's she's kind of my you know, to put it in sports terms, she's kind of the glue guy off the bench that makes the whole rest of the team come together. So that's my answer. Oh. What about you, Idol? Um, I'm also going to go with a bit of a left field choice. Lan, Lan mm. was a joy for me to watch every time because she, she she's almost the wolf proxy, as it were. You know, she's the fish out of water. She's the sort of wolf. Oh no, she's that in mold. Yeah, yeah. She, she's she's she has that kind of relation to it, but. She had a, a, a depth of a backstory, and obviously everyone's watching her because of the the Khan link, which didn't go anywhere, but maybe it will at some point. But, um, but yet. she proved she was more yet, yeah, yeah, yet. She was she was more of the sum of her parts, but like she had that hard ass sort of attitude, and then often like 
like when she when she had I forget which episode it was when uh, Uhura was training under her and she was giving her the like the ten steps of security. Episode six. It was yeah. six, was it? And at the end, she sort of throws her a bone and sort of says like, you know, no, you were you were great. And like, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And you see her dealing with the Gorn stuff and sort of like every we had a little journey with Laan through the story as well because she sort of comes on as just sort of like, oh, I'm here temporarily, and Pike sort of says like. Oh, let's bring you on full time and um she even has her own comedic moments as well when you know obviously she is the 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 the, the princess in the elysian kingdom and absolutely shows her comedic uh, I should go there. do the security. Yeah, thing. I should go do the security thing. Or when she's like in Pike's quarters, when it's like, oh, you know, have some waffles. No, I'm not hungry. And then she takes a bite. And she's like, oh my god, these are amazing. And Pike's like, yeah, I'll give you some bacon. Like that's like so good. But every every time Lance on screen, I'm just like, I I'm gonna pay 100 percent attention right now because you're awesome. Mm. For me, mm. I, I'm gonna have to rep Auto here a little bit because I feel like we we're both kind of on the same lane with it. I'm gonna say Umbenga. Oh, um, because I I almost always love every medical officer in Star Trek. It's just something that just runs through them. They're always awesome. And Benga has just this... He's utterly professional. I 100% buy him as a doctor. But also, he just like the, the added dimension of him as a father who would literally risk his career, his life, anything... For Ruki, and regardless of how you feel that plot thread in, I, I personally was okay with how it ended. I cannot doubt his dedication, and I feel like he just. Um, there's a moment in episode three where Una says, You're a Starfleet doctor, there's always a solution. And it kind of ties into that thing of uh, in DS9, one of my favorite lines in the entire thing is said by Kivan of all things, one of the water. He says, um, One of your famous uh, Starfleet engineers who can turn rocks into replicators. And it's just like. The idea of Starfleet personnel as these wizards, these miracle workers <laughs> who can just, you know, who can cure a rainy day, you know? And Mabenga just, like, flawlessly slots into that. I believe that man can cure well, a rainy day. Un- until he does a chemical experiment and wears no PPE. Uh, you know, he just inhales all well. his gas and explodes. That was, that was the one point I was just like, are you, are, you a, are you a doctor? Like, you should be wearing some sort of mask at this point if you're putting chemicals together. Mm. <laughs> It all worked out in the end. It's fine. As long as he didn't have to write out an incident report, it's fine. Um, <laughs> Get a risk assessment on the Enterprise. <laughs> shit. I, OSHA says you've got to have a railing there yeah. in engineering. That's deck 11 to 12. Um, is just paperwork. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> got to fill out those TPS reports. Mm. Um, and I also just appreciate... So something I, I just kind of unremarked upon in Stranger Worlds and it's like kind of comes up... Almost everyone on the ship has at least one prior relationship with another character. Um, it's not like TNG, where almost everyone is brand new to the ship, or DS9, where everyone is brand new to the ship, and you have one or two people who know each other, but otherwise you don't. Like Pike and Spock and Una, fucking tight ass. They, you cannot break that team, yeah. right? Um Uhura already uh, is good friends with Ortegas by episode two, and by episode nine, like she's like the one that is approaching Uhura and trying to pull her into the social aspect of the of the promotion ceremony. Um, Ortegas and Chapel have clearly already solved together because they already have like this history of like going out looking for guys and cruising. Um, and Benga and Pike know each other from touring on the uh, in yeah. Kenya and the Mojave, like. And Lon and Una have their relationship. I appreciate that everyone has a confidant and someone that feels like that they can go to, because that means that you have natural pairings of characters. 
And it also mm. means that when those pairings are broken and you get a completely unconventional pairing, like, say, Hema and Mbenga, you get a whole other dynamic that springs up and you want more of it. Now, granted, we won't get that last one because of the tragedy. I keep forgetting. Um, and you keep dry, you keep just reminding us. And it's just like, oh, why? I know, I know. But I, I appreciate it. It's a, I, I feel, it feels like a choice that they intentionally made. And it, it makes it feel a bit different to the occasional standoffishness that you get in the first season where people don't really know each other and they don't know what to make of each other. Like, you think of how, um, say... Um, Riker and Picard are in season one, where they're a little bit standoffish and they aren't quite sure what to make of each other and they'll make big gestures of trusting each other, but then it's like when they start working together in let's say like um, the Binar episode it feels like a growth, because they've come through together and they're working in tandem whereas like here it's like no, you, you already have those some of those relationships baked in, but you can still see other new ones grow, and I appreciate that as a stylistic choice for the characters. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. All right. My kids are being ridiculous at the same time. Nah, so it's fine. Completely... You're all good. You're all good. Um, so, at the start of the season, at the end of episode one, uh, me, Auto, and Idol, big unfortunately was not with us at the time, um, said uh, what characters we most wanted to see Ooh. developed. Um... And now I kind of want to do a compare and contrast on how we are feeling about those characters at the start and at the end. So, Otto says Mbenga at the beginning, because um, he had that knowledge and affection for him from TOS. I feel like he's probably got to be pretty happy with the amount of development he's gotten and the amount of focus he's gotten. For a character who was in TOS, like, what, twice? Yeah. Um, he's been given a focal, like, a, a strength. He's going to be a focus in season two because they've said that he's going to have um, a pre-existing relationship with the Klingons, possibly related to his wife's death. That's going to be delved into, so he has brand new storylines that are going to appear. Uh, I feel like he's going to be pretty happy about that. Uh, Idol, you and I were in agreement that we always wanted to see Erica Ortega develop, and unfortunately, <laughs> I think we kind of got the yeah, short yeah, stick yeah, here. A little bit, there, didn't yeah. we? I hope we get more. I do hope we get more. I hope this could be a season two thing where we'll get a little bit more of her. Like I would, I say, I've been doing a rewatch of season three of Discovery, and like one of the people, one of the things people always say is we want more about the bridge, <coughs> like a little mm. bit of that. And it kind of does feel like now I've come from Stranger Worlds and gone to rewatch Discovery. I'm like, actually, I can see why they're not doing that because they're not main focus of the show, whereas a lot of the cast in Stranger World are, and it feels like a big odd one out that Ortegas hasn't even Hemmer. It is limited capacity had episodes yeah. of her, obviously being focus, one yeah. of the big part points. So, kind of does stick out a little bit like a, th a sore thumb that the Ortegas is or sort of left left well, left hanging a little bit. One of them yeah. was planned to be killed off before season one even started, and the other wasn't. So, yeah. if you're going to give him an episode. <laughs> best to yeah, do it exactly. now. <laughs> to no, be no, fair. Exactly. Every character who's died in Star Trek wishes they had an episode as good as the Elysian Kingdom to do an abracadabra oh, in, yeah. right? Like, oh. that, that's, that's historic. It's so good. But it's so tragic. Um, you give me that episode where you sell me on, like, oh my god, Hemmer's a comic genius, like, he's got all this flamboyancy, and then you kill him off, and you just make me angry. You show me so much promise, and then it's gone. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, but yeah, like, at the start of the season, I was like, you know what, Ortegas, I like your, the, the, the kind of the cut of her jib. Um... And seeing her in different situations and seeing her really try and pull her out of her shell, seeing her 
um, relationship with Pike, which is like that kind of back and forth, playful, yeah. mentory, like protege. I feel like of anyone on the bridge, it's not Spock or Una. She's maybe the one he's closest to, or feels the most affection for. Like it feels you like can tell by the hair. He's almost. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and like you know, her emotional vulnerability in like the funeral for Hammer, like she's one the first one that we get the eulogy for, and it's a well delivered eulogy yeah. where you feel the loss. And um, I think it's not a case of what we don't get enough or take us because we've gotten quite a lot of it. Like we've got a baseline of what her personality is. I think we want to know the history. We want to know the story yeah. and get an episode focused on her that. The, you know the, the resolution of the episode is determined by the character's actions i think we want to know yes where she that's very well certain, put. Th- certain things are, are said so like i think we want to sort of see the test test under the metal really don't we mm. yeah so uh big i've been leading the conversation here a little bit and let, i i i i feel about strange new worlds all fucking day um but i feel like <laughs> i should probably give you guys a little bit of room to talk <laughs> it's fine yeah. um, um well uh so, <laughs> um, the C. Okay, so the stuff that I had written down, and I don't think we we got to this just because I had stuff like MVP, uh, disappointment, uh, things like. Um, I I had what was your biggest surprise of what happened in season one? Biggest what? Sorry. Surprise. Surprise. Oh, surprise. surprise. Gosh. Yeah. I think Una being the Illyrian was the big, like, oh, you're just like, was, you know, I mean, I understand we knew nothing of her character pre Free uh, Strange New Worlds. Like, obviously, we saw yeah. that she was very analytical, very sort of um, a bit of a workaholic, as it were, but we knew nothing of her. And suddenly, like, to get like, no character. Where fun goes to die, one might say. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was that was a great moment. Her and her and Laan doing the Enterprise Bingo was a great, the closest we got to kind of like a little character analysis for her. But then for her to turn around and go, oh, yeah, she's an Illyrian. She's been genetically modified. And like, all well, this was a kind of like, oh, wow, that is actually a big leap to take for a. It's, it's weird. It sounds weird, but it's not. Like, it's a big leap to take for a character we know nothing about. But we do know we have a cultural sort of appreciation for the character we've known for uh, however many decades so it's it's weird like it's very brave of them to kind of go like number one she's almost beloved in a way because it's major roddenberry to kind of go we're going to introduce this big twist on a character but actually kind of makes sense Mm. i remember when that happened um because it's right before uh, right before the revelation that she's Lyrian, you get her uh, carrying Hema through the the hallway to the sec oh, yes. bay. And I remember my friend Katie was like, "How the hell are you carrying him? Are you?" Like, oh, I'm a little bit disappointed they haven't made her engine like you know like an augment kind of like in the books. And then she just drops the "I'm an Illyrian," and <laughs> Katie was like, "Yes!" She was so validated by that moment. And it is such a like usually you know it it, it can vary just how much a race. Adding that kind of thing to a character can change them. Like some characters are almost exclusively defined by their culture and how they relate to it. Say like Worf or Odo, where like that's a big part of their story. Whereas mm. some other characters, like Troy being Betazoid, doesn't really affect her Not character really. arc. Her relationship with Riker and like stuff like that is way more important to her character. Um, but with Una, it's like taking a character we know so little about and then immediately throwing it into this very different light. And especially one associated with a kind of a dark chapter about 
not just Earth's history, but also Earth's current like you know, uh, present state of affairs with the augment uh, ban and that prejudice that we talk. We talk about this quite a bit in episode three's recap, where that is a prejudice that is codified into law in the twenty third and twenty fourth centuries. That is not something that goes away. Um, even at the end of like, you know, this is an enlightened utopian society, but that's the one blind spot, really. And to take a character who, as I says, is kind of beloved and throw that light on her, is it's, it's a big move. Um, and we have to hope that they keep on paying down on it in season two, because as you have guys have said, um, they haven't really capitalized on it yet, but I'm hoping it's more of a case of season two is, as you're you going to get your season two box set, it's going to have Una's picture on the front. I'm hoping that's what it's going to be. <laughs> so yeah. to expand on Una, like the whole Illyrian thing was known previously. Like there was a book, and because I, I knew this came from a book, so I just very quickly Googled it. Uh, a book by John Jackson Miller released in 2019 called The Enterprise War, which was supposed to it, it, fill in the gaps of where Enterprise was during the Klingon War, actually said in, in that book itself uh, that Una was an Illyrian, uh, was raised as a human um colonist on on Illyria and raised as one of their own so like very nicely telegraphed that this came from the like non-canon sources but they've integrated the canon same way that they have with uhura like neota come from the came from the books so uh mm. a, a nice little nod there that they're sort of paying attention and they've done this before with a few other things that i can't recall right now but they've pulled from non-canon sources and kind of gone yeah this is this this aspect of it is canon so i, I quite like that well, the amount of t- uh, animated series pulls that like Modern Trek is doing for animated a series, series that was is originally canon, damn it. <laughs> it is actually canon now. We saw the giant Spock do a skeleton. It's canon. Absolutely. <laughs> Screw what Gene Roddenberry thinks. It's all canon, all the way down. Yeah. So, so that's Idol's pick for biggest surprise. What about you, Big? Well, um, I think an an easy one to to say is how integral uh, Tapring was to the plot oh, yeah. of the series overall because when someone when, when you saw ahead of time that Tapring is going to be a guest star in uh strange new worlds it's like okay maybe she'll be in an episode or something it's like maybe they'll do something off of uh uh a mock time specifically you know something about that where she's a one-off maybe she's like loxana character she's just annoys the crew for an episode and then she goes away but she was in it quite a bit mm. and three or four episodes yeah yeah and wasn't an antagonist i mean she was really you know very friendly with spock friendly with the the crew that she interacted with and interacted with pike a fair bit and so that 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 surprised me because i, I didn't think that she was going to be a character that would have impact and she absolutely did especially for a character that has like this baggage from from tos where it's like it's been recontextualized since, where like in the original sixties, like wow, what a stone cold bitch wanting to get like you know, um, Spock killed for her own benefit, and then it was kind of like reassessed by fandom as like, well, Spock was kind of leaving her out to dry, and it's like, it, you know, like recontextualizing it as you know, like um, attitudes toward women have changed, and then they kind of bring that into the forefront and canonize it here, where they're saying, no, there was an aspect where Spock failed here too, where he didn't you know do all that yeah. he could. Where he had maybe a wandering eye, we don't know where that's going to go. But at the very least, there's a case of he is not right for this relationship, and they are ready to explore that. And that is, it's that thing where I, I, Strange New Worlds is not afraid of taking these canon characters and making them wrong or 
kind of the villain of a situation, even if they're doing it for all the right reasons and being true to themselves, like Pike and Spock, you know, like, but Pike was being essentially himself in episode 10, but he was kind of the villain of the piece because he was the one who fucked everything up, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a bold move. Like, it's not often you get to see Picard or Cisco be the villain of the piece. It's usually something that's like done once or twice, but well, <laughs> there's there's, there's thematic the time weight to it. Cisco uh, bombarded an entire planet with some radioactive material, and uh, just to prove yeah. his point against settings. Well, to be fair, D- Dax literally tells him be the villain of the book, so like that. But fair here, that it's a bit more thematically tied in, a little bit less telegraphed. Hmm. Um, but yeah, no. I, if you had told me that I not only that Supreme was going to be in Stranger Worlds, but also integral, and I liked her, I would <laughs> yes. not have believed you. Because, like, the amount of heavy lifting that get out of town, we are not in a town, can do for a character (laughs) (laughs) cannot be understated, you know? And then Um, another surprising element, too, that uh, talking about recontextualizing is the the Spock Chapel dynamic. Oh, Oh, he's still my beating heart. Oh, my gosh, this killed me the entire season. because in in TOS it is very much a you know it's all chapel and it's like Spock is not even present or aware mm. of what's mm. going on and I just I did not expect for it to be as front and center in this these stories as they have been up to this point and of course it the it begs the question of when the other shoe is going to drop and how that's all going to resolve itself to, for TOS to still make sense. I've said this before. I've said this before. I, I want this to be an alternate reality. I want this to be the Kelvin verse of TOS so it does happen and works out because the eyes that Jess Bush makes at Spock is just... it mel- I am not into any kind of like romantic stuff. My wife watches like rom-coms, things like that. It doesn't sway me at all, but this has turned me into a mushy pile of goo every time she's on the <laughs> or any kind of there's any kind of reaction because I'm just like, I want it to happen. Like, Come on, like, it's so... And it's because of the tragedy. There is a tragedy, and I know it ahead of time. And it's Mm. like, oh, no, why do it to me? It's like you you see the trains coming from a ways You just know it's happened, and it just hurts all the more. And that's good in a way, because it makes it exciting, but also I wish they wouldn't. (laughs) There's a dynamic to their scenes that reminds me a little bit of Sarek and Amanda, not just in uh, Discovery, but also a little bit in A Journey to Babel, where there's just that affection and that understanding between each other. Mm. Um, You know, that that, that gentle teasing of like, you know, like, um, you know, Spock, that was a joke. Oh, I know. You know, Vulc- uh, humans are almost as easy to tease as Vulcans. And then just like Chapel gives it's like, yeah, that I imagine, I can totally imagine that when like, you know, Sarek and Amanda first met, they had a moment similar to that. Because yeah. it's like, that's the moment when the, the two cultures meet, when it's just like, you can step outside that comfort zone and just be with someone. And I, it's like, that is the ultimate tragedy of Spock and Chapels. I can see it. I could see it is, them happening. I could the see thing, them being happy, yeah, but it won't happen. It won't. And it's the one thing, like, fan fiction writers of this, or potential slash fiction writers will write of this, is, like, they won't feel good about writing it because it just won't ever happen, and they know it in advance. Yeah. Like, people that write fan fiction between characters are always like, well, in some future series, it could happen. There could be, you know, Worf and Dax, maybe, you know, could be on the cards. She's into Klingons. Like, but no, 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 it's not. 
and it's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. that's why they would have to write it because that's yeah, the only way yeah. they'll ever see it. You, you got to get it out there. Credit to um, Jess Bush for just the stunning range of emotions she portrays, like just with a look. Like when she's sitting mm. opposite the table to Spock, and you can see the moment. It's like that kind of moment in The Simpsons. You can see Ralph Wiggum, where you can see the exact moment where his heart breaks. You can see the exact moment where her heart is engaged, like where she is that moment. She's like, she just looks down and she looks up, and you just go, oh dear. Oh dear. That's yeah, you're, no, you're, you're in, in for it now. And she sells in, it yeah. so well. Like, you can just. Mm. Mm. Um, my personal pitch for surprise, I've got two. Cyborg. Yes! Oh uh, my gosh! If, if yeah. you had said to me <laughs> that a character in a live-action Star Trek movie, uh, or a, a series, that wasn't maybe Lower Decks, like you see Lower Decks maybe of yeah, doing Yeah, Lower Decks you know? would take a piss out of Cyborg, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. But Strange New Worlds being like, no, we're gonna treat him like he, like, we said Thanos, and it's right, they do frame like that. <laughs> Fucking cyborg of all people, and I'm like, I'm excited for it. So many people I've seen going on Twitter now, and it's like, I've always loved the Final Frontier. Like, the fuck have you? (laughs) Bullshit! (laughs) You're just getting on the train because cyborg pit. That film is trash, you know. But I am, I am excited for actually doing cyborg justice because cyborg was the best part of Final Frontier. Well, one of the best parts of Final Frontier. So, yeah, (laughs) they will have to be careful with this, but they have to be careful with a lot of things already, and they've done that quite well so i i trust this team to do cyborg well yeah i mean that's the kind of the thing it's like it, it you know much in the same way that the live action star wars uh series have taken some of the more maligned parts mm. of the franchise and are trying to reclaim them uh it's like yeah this yeah strange new worlds is kind of doing some of those things too and they're doing it well enough that i'm kind of hoping maybe they lean into it have have another crack at Spock's brain. I mean, who knows? Like, how how bad can What's Mary you, up I mean, to how these good days? Can you make, yeah. Okay. If, Go okay. Visit how the much? Rough, you know. <laughs> how much do I have to pay Paramount for them to remake Spock's brain, but with the Strange New Worlds cast, and they play it as a joke? Can you imagine? I no, would no, no, pay no. so much money for that. They transport <laughs> to the future and they end up through the wormhole and all of a sudden, Alamarine! <laughs> oh, no, not the Second fucking Marty. God damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, they'll find a way to make the Enterprise go warp 10 and then uh, oh, yes. they'll just... We've been uh, lizards all along. <laughs> yeah. No, they go to warp 13 and then they, they get fucked <laughs> by the Zeltons, whatever. Um, my other big pick... Sam Kirk. I was a corpse, an actual corpse, who has been disrespected by this franchise so much. In the final frontier, Kirk says with a straight face, I had a brother once, I lost him, but then I got him back. And in the fucking afterlife, (laughs) Sam Kirk is like, the fuck, man? The fuck? Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Because this precludes the search for Sam Kirk. Maybe he did get him back. He wasn't talking about Spock. Maybe Sam Kirk will come back. He didn't die on the planet to some weird goo. (laughs) Damn it. Um... If you had told me that, Sam, not let's be real, the the punchline of Sam Kirk in episode one is so well done. Mm, they do it with such yeah. levity and such like, eh, eh. They say Lieutenant Kirk, and you're just like, really? Soon? 
the yeah. moustache. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, not it? just not just the joke, but he actually helps Uhura like center herself in her first away mission. He helps give Pike some context as to what his brother is like as a starship commander. He's yeah. good for like you know like he approaches her and is like, "Hey, how you doing?" It's like, "Oh, I'm 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 out of here." Like <laughs> he, he's appeared in four episodes and he's like in the slightly different context each time. It's like I and you know, the Gorn raise your 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 Hudson character. It's like for a character who was a corpse and a mustache, they've they've done a lot of work with him, honestly. Yeah. Well, and the, the I yeah, I didn't even think about it until you just mentioned it. So like, he's he's the red herring in episode one. Mm. So it's like oh the, they're not bringing in Kirk now. And then of course the news had gotten out that Kirk is going to be in season two. So then that just completely throws you off when. Jim Kirk does show up in episode 10. Unless you watch the opening credit. Yeah, when they mention it. Yeah. It depends on how so, close man. you are in, you are in on who the actors. I'm sure I'm sure there's plenty of casual viewers going, oh, a new Star Trek series has yeah. watched this, would have been completely thrown by it. So yeah, I, uh, I can I, yeah, I can see that. Um I think it was a little bit of intentionally genius timing, or not for them to kind of like before season one had turned up to say like Oh yeah, this guy's playing Kirk in season two. Uh, no, to um, oh fuck, I've forgotten his name already. Uh, Paul Paul Wesley. Paul no, Wesley. Paul Wesley. Yes, that's right. He's uh, saying like, yeah, he's in season, and we're all just like, ah, oh, you know, we all spoke uh, before about. We were worried. How, we were pissed. <laughs> we were slightly annoyed. Just like, how dare they up uh, upstage Pike already? But and then yeah. in that, like you say, the red herring in the opening episodes, like Lieutenant Kirk to the bridge. I'm like, are they really going to do this? And no, no, of course, it's, it's fucking like Galaxy Quest. Sam Kirk here, you know, <laughs> <laughs> guy, 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 yeah, Fliegman. Fliegman. yeah, guy yeah. <laughs> the guy, the actor himself, Dungeon, you know, he's like a really cool guy. I, I'm kind of happy for him because like this completes the second video game. A, a, an actor who I've appear, uh, seen in the video game first hated the character, and then they appear in Star Trek property and I liked them because Anson Mount was also in a video game I didn't enjoy very much. Um, and both of them now are. Uh, I want Sam Kirk in season two as a regular. Come on, why not? Why not? Yeah, at this point, I'm happy yeah, with that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, he, I, at this point, he's slowly edging toward being more than just a punchline, mm-hmm. and I'd like to see more. Just get his wife in. I, I want to I wanna see him being a stupid romantic goober and, like, constantly. F- I want him to be the George McFly Wait. of the Enterprise. <laughs> he's not found his wife yet. What if Ortegas is his wife? <sighs> uh, his if- wife's name is Aurelan. Oh, we already know that. Okay, never mind. She could yeah. change her name. Ortegas or Alan. That's a, that's a typo. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be weird. I don't know yeah. if I could stomach that relationship. That'd be weird. Yeah, that but would be odd. maybe? I don't know. Dan, <laughs> his moustache is very charming. I don't know. But yeah, that was my biggest surprise. <laughs> okay. Where are we We've next? been talking about season two a fair bit, right? Okay. Yep. And we have... I'm only going to outline what we generally know at this time. Because um, San Diego Comic-Con has just been and went. We got our announcements. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no Season 2 trailer. I figured we wouldn't because it's too early. Even though this yeah. production is wrapped, there's going to be months and months and months of effects yeah. work because God knows it takes a lot of time and work well, to make this look good. We didn't get a Season 1 trailer till very, very late. They sort of keep, keep yeah, also, on, yeah. on the shelf yeah. for a while, so... Yeah. Um, so I'm going to outline all that we know about season two. So uh, everyone is returning, um, including possibly Bruce Hurek in a different role. 
um, which is clearly going to become the Jeffrey Coombs of modern Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We are getting a new chief engineer who is very unlike any other chief engineer we've had. And not Scotty. It is not Scotty, which I am so pleased about. That is exactly the right choice. Um, well, it's the second exact right choice. The first choice was not killing Hammer in the first place, but whatever. <laughs> um, we know we are getting more Paul Wesley Kirk, and he is going to be a lieutenant. He is going to be hanging out with Lon. He is, he is going, going to be captain, growing. Though. He is going to be a captain because the no. the shots that they no. showed, he had three stripes, no. didn't he? I'm sure. They, no, the... that was from the episode ten. No, because no, there's him and Laan a... on a planet. No, well, he's a lieutenant. No, I... Pike looks up his file at the end of the episode and he's a lieutenant. He's, I'm he's sure a goofy, I've seen some... grinning-looking lieutenant. On Guess what? Planet. It also wouldn't be the first time we've had some costuming errors with, the, with these cuffs. Well, true. Yeah. The, uh, we literally play... Uh, for context for viewers who are coming to us who are not playing um, Star Trek Timelines, both Spock and Ortegas have been given the wrong ranks in that, and they've been credited as lieutenant commander when they're okay. lieutenant because the cuff system in Stranger Worlds is inconsistent and weird. It is, however, um, which I is seeing... consistent with TOS. So that's once yeah. my screen's filled with adverts, I am seeing a shot consistently behind... inconsistent from behind the scenes to behind the scenes of uh, season two of uh, Stranger Worlds, which has Laan and Paul Wesley as Kirk on a planet. Uh, Christine Chong has the two stripes of lieutenant, and he has the three stripes of captain. So unless they're I'm going off of time what travel... the well, possibly. I, I'm, yeah. But I'm going off what a the personnel file in episode ten says, and also what the showrunner oh, yeah. says. I'm literally. I'm, I, so. I'm not. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure there may be some time travel shenanigans there, but we'll we'll, we'll see. Possibly. <laughs> um, he's going to be a lieutenant aboard the Farragut. Um, he is not yet the Kirk we know. Apparently yes. he's going to be a bit more funny, which I am glad because that is an essential part of mm. Kirk as a character. Is he is a he has a sense of humor. Yeah. Um, we're going to get more Lan. She is not gone forever. We're, I imagine no, she'll probably be back. back on the Enterprise relatively quickly. Um, we're going to have some kind of episode one. I would be very. I'd be shocked, shocked as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, even if it's just a lower deck season two style Boimler cutaway. Um, we are going to get some development on Uno. We don't know what form that's going to take because they've been very tight-lipped about how that's going to play out. Yeah. Um, what else? Umbenga is going to get some development in terms of his relationship with the Klingons, which implies to me that Klingons are going to appear. We Yeah, there was a, a leak from one of the background actors. There was two background actors that took a picture and posted onto Twitter, which got deleted very soon after then yeah. Klingon makeup. So we've, we've known Klingons are coming for, for, for a while now. Yeah, so that's a hard confirm and the, the context. I imagine we might be getting some post-Klingon war... Like, you know, like, I'd be curious if we're going into the wounded territory, you know, with Let's like old Lorel. wounds. Let's get Lorel and... and Tyler back. That would be cool. I'd, I'd be happy to see Lorel yeah. and Tyler back from Discovery. Um, what else? Um, they have, they have been very, like, uh, about, if you liked episode 10, apparently season two go has a few episodes that are even more like that. So we might be getting yeah. some weird ass shenanigans in season two. Oh, who, who mourns uh, for Adonais part two? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> we ran into the Norse pantheon the god damn it. Um another god, I feel like god we, damn it. Yeah. It's gonna be an evil computer. It's always an evil computer on Star Trek. Um we're gonna get an Ortegas episode. That's yeah. been hard confirmed. Um we're gonna get some development for her. 
Pike is going to be a bit of a changed man in season two. He's going to be sort of like, he's going to be carrying this weight, but he's, <laughs> he's a bit more free now. He's going to have curtains. <laughs> Give him the beard back. I miss the beard. Mm. Um, he's going to be carrying that weight, but he's now kind of like freed because he's dealt with it. He's just, uh, I think Anthony Mount said this is at three Pike, whereas we were with act two Pike now okay. previously. Um, Spock is going to be delving more into his um, human side and his relationships. And apparently they're also going to touch on his dyslexia okay. in Discovery Season 2, which is a plot point I was not expecting to come back, and I'm kind of glad because yeah, that was something that was again. brought up in Season 2 and it, was like, it felt like a you know the magical autism superpower thing that allows you to understand things you shouldn't understand. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> but the fact they're actually going to develop it means, okay, I'm glad with that. And I feel like that's everything we know about Season 2 as of right now because they're being very tight-lipped about it. So, yeah. with all that information, what do you want to see in season two? More of the same. I was... You know, <laughs> honestly, like, if they can knock season two out with the same kind of quality and structure as season one has been, I will be more than happy. Like, mm. I, I have heard they are, uh, you know, I think Melissa uh, Navia was saying uh, words like, you know, it's going to be more outrageous. It's going to be a little bit more of a step up in terms of, like, uh, intensity of the episode so like fine I, I i i don't mind them sort of change things up but i would like them to kind of go like you've hit a great season one take feedback from the great season one you've had and do that again mm. that, that that was great yeah i don't want them to go to the point like oh we're cocky we had great season one so we can do some weird stuff that makes us kind of go no no we we're gonna like do that. a musical episode actually i wouldn't mind that i'm down i'm all right <laughs> I'm, I'm okay at least in kingdom show me they could do any kind of wacky stuff so like <laughs> celia gooding has a background in broadway put mm -hmm. get, give me an episode i'm all right with it yep what about you big what do you want from season two okay so they have hit on almost all of the main tropes that mm. you would get from you know like a TOS TNG style episode uh you know there's the 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 first contact kind of thing there's that's the uh, plague yeah there's there's the fantasy dress up episode the but there's two two types of episode that I don't think they've really broached on yet mm. one is uh talking a computer to death mm, that's a classic <laughs> it's an oldie but it's a goodie <laughs> yeah and then and the one i would most want to see is i want to see a lawyer pike episode Ooh. i was gonna say if we yeah. don't get a courtroom drama i'm gonna be samuel disappointed. T. Cogley, bring him back he <laughs> yeah. was so good i loved samuel but, t Cogley. okay but it's like but my real answer and it's it's a cop out but mm. it's it's the truth is i want to see stuff that i didn't know i wanted to see mm, that's a good answer. That's, those are the best things that i've gotten so far from this and i want them to keep doing that because their hit rate is phenomenal up to this point. yeah absolutely um for me i want some more deep cuts um you know they've said you know keep watch this space for dr roger corby keep on going show me yeah. show me like lieutenant jim kirk hanging out with the bar and swapping kisses with janice lester when they're still in their honeymoon period yeah. show me um him like swapping mails about like matching command targets with lieutenant gary mitchell um <laughs> give give me a hey 
what happened to that little blonde lab technician when you were hanging out? What was her name? Carol Marcus? Give me all <laughs> these Ooh. little deep cuts. There's so much hey, you hey. can draw on. So Carol Marcus's dad was, you know, infamously from the the best Star Trek movie of all time, Into Darkness. Yeah. Was, you know, a big big wig in 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 Starfleet at the time. We could see of. Um, you know maybe not peter weller but uh someone else in, in the role as carol marcus's dad come come around to sort of tie in that yeah, little... get, uh, get, get joel kinnaman just keep the robocop <laughs> continuity <laughs> you know i actually quite like joel kinnaman not seeing him in the suicide squad so yeah, you know what fuck yeah. it, why not i don't know if they were um, gonna do james frayne as the romulan commander then i don't know if we're gonna yeah. <laughs> have that kind of foresight yeah oh you know i, I have to retroactively add that to my disappointments if we didn't get yeah. james frayne as the sales romulan yeah. commander that would be hilarious yeah. um yeah keep on with the deep cuts but you know make sure that they are in service of the characters because they've been doing such a good job of it so far hmm. every time these characters like to pring and kirk and sam Every time they turn up, it is in service of the characters and not just for the fan service aspect. Like, these are characters who got maybe like 20 minutes of development and were killed, or their emotional impact on a main character was just shoved off to the side. Give that emotional development and those impacts. Uh, like, the, the Farragut, like Garavik, um, Dichronium crowd disaster. Like, that was brought up for one episode and then it disappeared yeah. from Kirk's character. Show me how formative that was for Kirk. Show me, like, you know, all of this stuff and allow it to become a cohesive whole. Because with a prequel, it could be so easy to give you a character who is like the previous version. And has all the bright, you know, biological details and stuff like that, but does not have the same essence. But Stranger Worlds has been doing such a good job of retaining who these characters are yeah. that I want to see them keeping to conf Because we were talking about this, especially in relation to Paul Wesley Kirk, where he doesn't feel quite like like Kirk, partly because of performance, but also I, I, you were saying about his characterization as a risk taker. It's like, oh, well, that's from the TOS movies. It's like, these are the same character, and that was retroactively added on already. Yeah. So, if they can pull off like some kind of magic trick to make stuff like that, where it's like all one cohesive character, like they have been doing with Spock, where it's like you know the the cage weirdness and then into the emotionlessness, like if they can keep on with that, then I think we're on track for a, a super good season two. Um, yeah. In terms of what else I want, I want a stupid TOS classic alien to turn up. I don't know which one. The Gorgon. Oh, right. The Gorgon from The Children Shall Lead. I tell you what, their, their, their animatronic work has been fantastic. Like, wasn't expecting this mm. level. Like, uh, Children of the Comet, like, the shepherds in that. I thought that was CG. Like, the the big view yeah. screen alien, the, the alien that appears on the view screen with the pausing head, I thought that was CG until I saw behind the scenes someone leading someone in the full regalia and it's all animatronic, sort of, like, head. A little bit of CG touch-up, but I then rewatched yeah. the episode and went... Oh yeah, because you see his mouth moving as he's talking. That's someone actually, yeah. you know. That's not. Yeah. There's something about your brain that can tell when someone's talking and when they're not. Like when when the lips are moving yeah. in, in the right accordance. Yeah. Um, but and that with the Gorn and with oh god, what was his name? Um, Buckley. Buckley, Buckley? you yeah, always Buckley. forget. Yeah, 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 the uncomfortable breathing of Buckley that gave me an anxiety attack just watching it. Like. <laughs> Uh, such the, a good animatronic work so, it was so good and you know in this day and age you don't expect animatronics and it's always so mm -hmm. much better when they do yeah. Tholians I want Tholians maybe hmm. Could be, no, yeah. they're completely undeveloped they have been appeared in like two True. episodes max True. 
And they are so unlike yeah. most other Star Trek platforms. I think that's what they're doing with the Gorn, though. I think they've already got the Gorn to fill that space. Um, I think the one thing I even if it's in... just one episode, I yeah. want it. Even I, if it's just I one. think what was not explained in Picard season two, and what I was hoping a little bit more with Laan, is more exposition on the eugenics wars and World mm. War Three. Yeah. There's still a huge gap in the history of Star Trek, which is something I want to touch on in a future show at some point. Um, that I, I want to know more and I think there's the opportunity with La'an to pursue that and especially with Pike as well having interacted with Terralisium in Disco Season 2 um, which was a you know a, a, call it a, a village or a town that was transported during World War 3 uh, to another planet uh, I think there's opportunities yeah. there to expand on that and even Episode 1 they showed footage of World War Three yes. and Civil War Two, which is a little on the nose, but it was there. Um, but uh, yeah, I I want some more of that only because of my own predilection as a, a bit of a, a law buff that I only want those gaps filled out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have a segment in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Now, at the end of every recap, I asked the Sistine gentleman. What they would give the episode out of ten, and I would give it a a a, a special flavor for the episode that was appropriate. So what I want to do now is I want to give you guys what you scored every episode, oh, wow. and I want you to let me know if you agree with that score, if you think that it should go down, or if it should go up. Because I feel like I addressing these episodes each on their own individual merits. With the benefit of hindsight, seeing how they fit into the wider season, and on rewatch, what you feel about them. So, okay. episode one, Strange New Worlds, fumbled first contact scenarios out of ten. So, um... <laughs> I forgot you gave them these things. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I gave it a nine out of ten. I would probably agree with that. Um, I might even inch a little bit higher, but I still feel like that as a, such a strong pilot, such a strong mission statement for the season and for the show as a, a general, I'm happy with 9 out of 10. Um, Big, you were not present with us, um, but you have told us that your score at the time would have been 9 out of 10. Do you still agree with that score? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, mm. it, it does so much heavy lifting of getting everybody into the place they need to be for the season to start in earnest. And then Mm. at the same time tells a story, a complete story on its own. And then also just has some of that, you know, just put it directly in my veins, Starfleet uh, Federation philosophy. Mm. that You just, you almost can't get enough of uh, all in one package. So that that's, yeah, that's an easy nine out. The idealism. Yeah. Auto uh, gave it a nine out of ten. He's not here, unfortunately, but we can. You know, I'll, I'll bug him about his score later. Idol, you also gave it a nine out of ten. Do you stand by your score? I'd put it up to a ten. Honestly, really, I, I, I honestly would because now rethinking about it in the context of the season that we got, like Big said, it sets everything up. It has a good plot to it. It doesn't really have anything. I can say is a major negative apart from a couple of like maybe small like dialogue points but it, it's it, it is just great okay like they have that moment where it's just like we're a bit confused about what was happening with the tra- you know they're transporting the, the genetics into Spock's eye but it was a good moment of tension it had 
it had everything you needed for a pilot to bring you up to date even if you weren't familiar with what happened in discovery season two it had everything there to give you enough to to be aware of what was going on so for a start of a series uh, i and just just for the sheer fact that how relieved i was that they pulled it off and that mm. and I, I just kind of went oh i get what they're doing with this i get the feeling of where they're going with this series um oh no maybe i will go down to a nine because Battelle le- left the food on the plate and, <laughs> and, and she, she just walked away uh, as someone that doesn't like to waste food so no no in, in serious i think i would upgrade it to a 10 because i i think okay. I, I again like you say episodes you can watch over and over again that's one of them yeah. mm, absolutely all right episode two children of the comet evasive pattern ortegas gamma ones out of ten um <laughs> i gave this a nine out of ten i stand by that i think this is an amazing episode for Uhura that like really effortlessly blends giving her an actual backstory um that also combines her linguistic skills with her musician skills, which is like an underrated part of her character and of Nichelle's Nichols um, impact on the character. Um, I like the small developments for Spock. I really appreciated Sam Kirk's role. I like this is kind of like Ortega's like big moment in the context of the season as a whole. Um, Pike gets to do some good old fashioned Star Trek TNG. Oh, that's an enemy that's like, you know, bigger than us, but we have to find a way to do it anyway. I love the, Fuck the Prime Directive, we're doing what's right. We're not going to leave a planet to die like we do so many times in TNG. It's I, the, I stand by the opposite to Janeway. It's like, fuck the Prime Directive, we're going to leave this planet to die. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, st- I'm standing happy with a 9 out of 10. Idle, you gave this a 9 out of 10 on first watch. What, how do you stand by that score? Honestly, I'm going to give it a 10 again. I, I like, I rewatched this recently. <laughs> I, I know I, I'm broken record right now. Again, it's a episode I could watch over and over again. Like I could go back and say like, this is a classic Trek episode. This is an episode I would want to watch uh, from the moment of like them discovering this comet to then going like the, the cutaway at the break to them going, Oh, it's got shields. Why has it got shields? Like, uh, how is how is this such happened? a classic then, trek moment of like yeah. the wrinkle over and there's the trope of like oh we can't get back but and uh, you know sam kirk has this stupid moment but has that moment with uhura uhura works out decodes the code that is music which is something i am keen on music you know uh decodes music as a code to bring it all out and it it result it, it's a solid episode that resolves itself very well and I think when I watched it, I again, again, I didn't want to give it a ten out of ten at the time because we didn't know the scope of the rest of the season. Like you're always afraid mm. to give it like the perfect score, but honestly, it was so good. Like I mm. can't cannot fault any part now. No, especially now I know that the aliens on the screen as well were animatronic and weren't just CG. Mm. Like that gives it a whole other level of like, wow, they put effort into this. This is great. So I, absolutely. I would absolutely upgrade to a ten for that. Okay. Big, you gave this episode an 8.5 out of 10. This was our first decimal score of the season. Do you stand by that score? Uh, I, yes. Um, I, I might even go ahead and bump it the half a point to a 9, because I think I, I was definitely, that was the first uh, uh, score that I gave of the series. Mm. So I, I even more didn't want to, I wanted to leave myself some room to grow. Uh, but yeah, it does all of these things fantastically well um it 
is probably it is not one of the absolute highlights of the series but it is one of the like the very very good like it's mm. if you wanted to tier them it's like at the top of the second tier of mm. seasoned episodes <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's solid strong season. tier two it's a favorite <laughs> yeah uh for for all those things that you've you've already mentioned so i, I won't rehash those so I, I, mm. I would i would probably go ahead and bump it up to a nine absolutely all right episode three ghosts of illyria um emergency medical transport of children out of 10 <laughs> um also gave this a nine out of 10 he was very complimentary about this i think partly mm. because um he's he really likes the medical plague uh, trope and it was a bit of development for mbenga and it gives you you have your tropes where it gives a certain member of the cast who otherwise doesn't get a lot to do something to do um I gave this an 8 out of 10. Um, I was actually one of the lower ones on here. Just because, like, Medical Plague episodes, like, generally speaking for me, I'm like, mm, they, I can take them or leave them. Especially in DS9, I felt like they did them a few too many times, and I was like, eh, these are a little bit interchangeable. I think I might bump mine up to, like, an 8.5 or a 9, just because of seeing where it stands in the wider scope of the season. Mm -hmm. um, setting up Una's, like, their problem in Season 2. Um, setting up Mbenga's trajectory. And it's just a, a, a strong mystery of its own. I really enjoy the sections with Spock and Pike on the surface as well, like their dynamic, where it feels... It kind of has that Kirk edge, but Pike is still his own character, despite being cast in that very similar mold. Um, it just holds together very well for me, and I really do appreciate the classic Star Trek twist of, oh, these creepy you know plasma phantoms, oh, they're actually going to help us. <laughs> That's a, a, a very yeah. a classic Star Trek archetype of the scary thing in the room actually wants to help you. And I appreciate very that every works. time that trope comes up. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like, no, we're the bad guys sometimes. Don't assume based on appearance. Um, now, Big, you gave this a 9 out of 10 on first watch. Do you stand by okay. that score? Uh, you know, it's it's tough because it is it's another one of those tier two episodes for me but it's where it's not now it does have the benefit of it basically gives una all almost all of the character development that she gets in the entire season comes in mm. this episode so if you are hungering for that then you need to give this episode its props because that's where it all comes from yeah uh, and it but like you say it's you know it's medical emergency it's like that that part of it the the mystery was uh fairly good on a first watch but on a second watch it kind of loses some of that uh sheen to me initial mystery yeah yeah uh which i it'll that is much worse on other episodes that we'll get to mm. uh but uh, so I, I might actually bump this down uh, and, mm. and it's not really I'm not criticizing the episode itself. I'm it's in the context of the rest of the season. I, I, mm. I think it doesn't it doesn't burn quite as bright as some of the other ones. So I might I might bump it down to an eight. OK, that's fair. Idle, you gave this. You you weren't present for this episode because we've had a bit of a rotating roster mm. here. Um, you gave this a seven out of ten. Do you stand by that score? 
I think so, but I think again because I wasn't there and I, I gave this fairly recently. Um, I think the whole outcome of what happened with Benga's daughter Rukia um, left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth a little bit, just because it was there, there were things on the way that you kind of got the hope that maybe she'd be cured in a logical way, and how she was handling the transporter buffer just didn't sit with me well. Una's story as well is fine. And it's great, you know, the surprise her being Illyrian is a great choice, but I just need more of Una to get... I've still not quite mm. got a baseline on her yet. I've not quite got the kind of handle on the character and the person she is. I need to see her in a command situation. I need to see her in charge of the ship and see what kind of first officer she is. Because they, they've, they've made a point of saying, oh, one of the best first officers in the fleet. And we're like, okay, that's great. You're alternate saying you're telling us that, you're not showing us it. I've always praised them for being show not tell, but that, that that's one of those occasions I kind of need to see more of her to know what she is. So I feel that didn't this mm. episode didn't do a lot of that. But seven's great. It was a good fun episode. So I will stick to a seven for this. Like by no means, it's probably the lowest rating I've given anything of this series. Well, apart from one other episode, but um, but it doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, it just means it's not up to the high standard of the rest of the series. Mm, yeah, absolutely. All right, episode four, Memento Mori. Neon torpedo casings out of ten. Um, Auto, (laughs) uh, Auto gave this a six out of ten. I think he had problems with a bit of the pacing and some of the disjointed memory because of the plot because it's split across multiple parts of the ship with multiple different characters, kind of going for that disaster feel. Um, And he he wasn't quite feeling it. Um, Big, I believe he gave this a six out of ten. Oh, I did. Wow. Uh, I I would I would bump it up I'm, I, at least one point, uh, mm. maybe two, uh, and that's that surprised me because I expected going back to the other Gorn episode to to like it less because mm. I, of where it eventually ended up, but it it I think it hangs together really well as a you know a submarine story. And some of the some of the choices that they made, uh, the the physics of the things that they did around the brown dwarf and the black hole, were very very smart. And I think it also serves as a really nice counterpoint to a quality of mercy in that mm. it shows Captain Pike in a battle kind of situation, and it shows no look when when push comes to shove, he can do the thing too. He can be. A, you know, kind of a, a warrior, a commander of a battleship, if and when he needs to be. Mm. It's just that that's not his preference. But mm. it, it does show that he does have some chops and he can be strategic and can come up with solutions on the fly to get them out of trouble when they need to. So Yeah, that is, that's not a failure of skill, but more a failure of killer instinct, as it were, almost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So we're going to bump that one up to an eight. Idle, you gave this an eight out of ten on first watch. Do you stand by your score? I think so. I think that's yeah. This this was I I, I very much enjoyed this episode. It's a very tense sort of hunt for Red October style thing. I think the neon casing put me off a little bit, but for the rest of it, it was it was great. Great visuals, great great tensity. I don't know. Maybe I would push up to a nine. I can't remember why I set it to an eight. Maybe eight point five. Maybe push. I'll push up to an eight point five. I say I'll play it safe. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Eight point yeah. five is a very respectable score. Yeah. Um, I give this an eight out of ten. 
Um, I am ab- I'm happy with that score. Yeah. I'm again. I might bump it to an eight point five. It just hangs together really well. It's it. It also does something I really appreciate, which is like there is a lot of this element where it's like this is the Rutara Nebula battle, right? And that's yes. like kind of the, your your touchstone. Yeah. Yeah. But it also had the good grace and intelligence to pull from other ones that have done. It's like disaster is a really strong pull. And that's not an episode that you would normally associate with submarine drama. But when you think about sort of the constituent parts of it, it's like you can see how this would graft very easily onto a submarine story. And I feel like they did that very well. Yeah. Um, and I also appreciate that like there were some stylistic camera movements that were very reminiscent of the Undiscovered Country, which is another oh, really good, yeah. strong pull. Um, and it's like, that's the thing. It's okay to be referential as long as it does not completely tie your hands and does not completely inform your storytelling and is you are not reliant on it to carry emotional weight, which is something that Into Darkness did a lot. Into Darkness relied on Ralph of Khan's emotional strength to carry any kind of weight of its own. Um, so I'll, I'll bump it up to an 8.5 out of 10. I'm quite happy with that one. Now, this was the darling of the season. Spockamark, episode 5. Spots on an Enterprise bingo card out of 10. All three of us gave this a 10 out of 10. Uh, I know Otto wasn't as fond of it. Uh, maybe because of just like his taste of Star Trek. I don't know, but his precise criticism because he was not with us on this episode. Yeah. Gentlemen, do we all stand by our... We've been referencing Spock and Mark every... Like, it, it comes up every every time when it comes to the humor, the characterization, the acting, the alien world building, what we like about Star Trek just He's keeps coming up in relation to... Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, <laughs> 10 out of 10. Like, like, yeah. It is joyous to watch. I think I've watched this episode three times, and I... Yeah. yeah. It's the easiest call on the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It it does like you say, it just does so many things and it's it's a riot. It is mm. one one of the funniest episodes of any trek. Uh you know, past, present, uh probably even future. And mm. it's not and it's not there just to be gags. It has yeah. plot import. It has a lot of plot import, and you know the threads that are laid down in that episode are carried through the rest of the season. Mm. And that it also nails some of the characterization of the characters that you had, have not seen up to this point. Um, mm. <laughs> kids are ridiculous. He <laughs> <laughs> said for a second, okay, here we This is fine. Yeah. But yeah, no, that it's it's a ten. It's a yeah. ten. It's an easy ten. It's still it's my an favorite easy ten. episode of the season. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's unquestioned for me. Like I've watched this multiple times since it came out, and I could watch this on repeat. I could I, I feel like at this point I could watch it until I know the entire script back and forth, and I would still I feel laugh like I'm not because far of off it. <laughs> I, I Anson Mount's micro expressions. Yeah. Um to bring and Spock just echoing each other's speaking patterns and having those wonderfully Vulcan punchlines. Lower decks and this have more in common than you'd think, but they yeah. are the perfect synthesis of character and humor. If every episode were like this, 
I would tell everyone to stop watching Better Call Saul or whatever. I would say Star Trek is the only thing you need to watch. <laughs> but, unfortunately, not every episode can be Spock and Mark, and that leads us to episode 6, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. So, gentlemen, Nightmare Fuel Child Corpses out of 10. <laughs> um, I gave this a 6 out of 10. My justification was that while it was an unpleasant episode in terms of the fact that there is not a happy ending, it is a grim ending, in fact. Um, it, feel, it felt like it had a point to me. It wanted to say something about the suffering of children, and we had to talk about that in our episode recap of what how you can read that and about the malleability of a Trek allegory. Um, and it has some other really good points to it, like the Ahura and Lan, the relationship developing. Um, you get some good moments with um, Mbenga's daughter and the and um, the, the first servant, where they, you get to see what exactly Rukia has been kind of robbed by being put into the transporter and being her life put on freeze, essentially. Um, but it has some... Like, the downer moments, a few structural problems, and I think the biggest failing from all of us was the the tease of hey i'm going to give you some research that might help your daughter oh wait it's all going to be solved two episodes from now by a nebula alien this entire conversation did not really matter yeah um i gave a six out of ten i'm happy to stand by that score you two gentlemen went a point below and said five out of ten do you stand by your scores no i do not <laughs> mm. I, I i think it needs to drop further Oh wow! Uh, okay, yeah. Okay, Ooh. so getting into uh, trash territory here. This is getting into like yeah. Savrosa. So here, here's the here's the thing. Uh, I I didn't have time to go back and rewatch all of the the, the entire season before we did this recap. I mm. went back and watched a couple of the episodes uh, that I felt like I would had a handle on the least. And this was one mm. of them. This is actually the last episode that I watched before this uh, recap. And I think I watched. Well, I, we watched it. I watched it twice before we did the original review because we all mm. kind of watch it on our own, and then we'll watch it together before we record the the recap. But on this third watch, it is just painfully slow. Mm. Once you know the mystery, once you know where this is going. It just, there's nothing here for you. It just drags and drags and drags. And you're just like, get on with it. Let's get to the actual story. Because what it's doing is, you know, it's trying to maintain the mystery and just kind of keep things moving along one point at a time. But when that doesn't do anything for you, then it's just a log to get through. And uh, just like, yes, you're supposed to rate these things as, you know, watching it one time and. But as you say now, it, it, it has no bearing on the rest of the story uh, because it was just a red herring for Mbenga's character that doesn't really go anywhere. And on top of that, it is just a titanic bummer. Yeah. And it, so I, I, I would bump this down to a four. And mm. uh, not, not to spoil things too much, this is now my least favorite episode of the season. Okay. I kind of, right, I, fair. I, I agree with that. I, 
I don't know if I could drop it to a four. I feel like four is more like, oh, this was an objectively bad all around technically and product. You know, that, that that feels like that's into the, oh shit, someone needs to improve some stuff. I I I I'll stick to a five <laughs> for myself, but I still think yeah, you're right that this is the worst episode of the season. Like uh, especially in hindsight, I'd probably agree. Yeah, yeah, with 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 the whole like you know Menga's daughter kind of teases and like yeah, well, nothing yeah. really comes of it. Well, and on top of everything else, Pike looks like an absolute rube through this whole episode. <laughs> because it's like, well, for one thing, it's it's one of those instant relationships that we're supposed to just buy because they say it's some long time thing, but we've never seen anything oh, of it. So it doesn't mean Pike, anything to it's us. you. Ooh. Yeah. No. Uh, so there. <laughs> See, from from the Sorry. perspective, you're looking at me on the camera. So I thought you were telling oh. me. <laughs> Stand uh, down, Ortegas. <laughs> uh, What's up, Carol? But the, yeah. So, on top of everything else, it just it makes the uh, the main character of your show like an idiot, and mm. like that the audience is ahead of twenty minutes before you get to the resolution of the mystery, and so on top of any other concerns with it, which I have many, that's mm. just the kind of the yeah. icing on the cake. Absolutely. This is, the, this is the code of honor of Strange Worlds, isn't it? Well, I'm still saying something because it's still at least well produced and at least it, it is, has yeah. a point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, moving on to a also kind of divisive but for very different reasons episode. The Serene Squall, episode 7. Shakaris out of 10. Um, I was a bit more favourable on this episode, mostly because I had no problem with the Captain Angel twist. I thought it was quite cool. Um, I really appreciated the use of the trans metaphor and the trans sort of like idea of identity as a sort of metaphor for Spock's half human, half Vulcan struggle. Um, I really appreciate the tease of Cyborg. I'm really hoping they stick landing on that one. I enjoyed pirate shenanigans, and I also appreciated. And I, it cuts a bit rough that, like, just like every other ship named Enterprise, they get taken over way too easily. But I also appreciate just how they get themselves out of it, and I appreciate that Starfleet officers are not completely incompetent. They have a way of dealing with pirates. Pirates are relatively easy fare, provided you don't have a designated antagonist among them, like Captain Angel. Really appreciated the Spock and Chapel relationship, um, which is it's painful to watch, but in a good way because it's such a interesting drama. Um, wonderful mirroring of dialogue between Tapring and Ch and Chapel and Spock. You know me so well, yeah. and I just also appreciate just like the running through line of Captain's dinners and using that to establish the themes of the episode. I I, I was quite happy with that. Eight out of ten, I'll stick by that. Big, you gave this a 6 out of 10. Do you stand by that score? No, I think time's been a little kinder to hmm. to it in my eyes than it was when I originally watched it. Um, I, you know, I think some of the problems still persist. <clears throat> Going back and watching it, uh, knowing where Angel is go ultimately, I think that helps. Uh, hmm. where, where I felt on it initially, um, because now you can appreciate the the subtlety of you know angel getting the information that she needed uh, mm. before she makes the the full turn 
and then and the use not... of the the laser trap to build confidence and trust and a uh, rapport yeah <laughs> yeah well and then it's not that she is becoming this thing it's she's just going back to being oh i, mean, I should uh, they rather played by a female actress so yeah well yeah, they. but is uh, i'm not clear on that because mm. i think that the aspen character invented to be non-barrier wasn't sure if angel is also meant to be non-barrier. yeah it's uncertain yeah. but i would prefer to use they them okay. for them because okay. yeah, they I, did not object to those pronouns when they okay. they All did right. their flip yeah. so so yeah, that, that, yeah. that was. I, no, no, it's it's a valid concern when you're dealing with like you know identity flips. It's I, I completely had this, valid I had, concern. I had this like you know when we're talking about Adira and Discovery season three, I had the same like you know it was my first sort of introduction to trans characters and work and things like that. Yeah. So I was often sort of I've I said to people if I get it wrong, tell me like just just yeah. come out straight up and say you know yeah. you said that wrong because we need to learn like I need to learn this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like it's like ha- I, having a trans boyfriend. It's like. It's you're all good. It's just a case of you're gonna learn, you're gonna make mistakes, it's yeah. fine. It's all a part mm. of being human and the fact that yeah. you care enough to try is what matters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. but anyway, uh that they were just be going back to being what they really were and mm. just casting off this disguise. So yeah, you know, it's not like they're you know, trying to go over the top. It's just what that character is. Yeah. And once once I have had some time to kind of process that, then I I appreciated that more on a mm. rewatch. So I I would I would put it at a seven. Uh, okay. So I it it's definitely an improvement, and it is a lot of it is a lot of fun. So yeah yeah um, yeah. It is interesting that you go from one that goes massively worse on a rewatch to one that improves upon a rewatch. It's very interesting how that's kind of structured. Um, Idol, you gave this a seven point five out of ten. I go up to an eight. Uh, definitely, yeah. I, I, I'm more favourable on it. I, I, like you say, like after time, like once you get over the, the hammy twist, like and this suddenly goes into ha ha, I'm a villain. Like I actually kind of enjoy the ha ha, I'm a villain more than the regular sort of like you know go from Councillor Aspen to Captain Angel. I prefer Captain Angel. Like having a good antagonist that can uh, be a foil, like and especially related to the whole cyborg thing, could be fun. Uh, with the Tupring interactions as well and like you said before the whole spit take with Spock at the beginning like when he's like we need to talk about marital relations books it's like oh sorry what <laughs> you know like <laughs> it's it's all good so yeah no I would definitely upgrade it to uh, a full, full eight I enjoy I definitely in like just in terms of, like would I watch it again do I enjoy it yeah I did absolutely all right episode eight the Elysian Kingdom um, this was Boltzmann Brains named Deborah out of 10. <laughs> I gave this a 9.5 out of 10. This is my second highest rating of the season. I stand by this. It's still a joy to watch in motion. The costuming, the humor, the emotional punch at the end still lands for me. I know that you guys have your, you know, your concerns about it because it's a different perspective. I'm not a father. I can't speak to that experience and how that would relate to you. I feel like if you want a sort of a, break, a deeper breakdown on your feelings about that, we had a really good conversation about this on our recap of that. But I still stand by nine point five out of ten for me. This is a really I really enjoyed this episode. I'll be watching it for for years to come. I feel. Um, now, Idol, you gave this an eight out of ten partly because of your disagreement with the Rukia resolution, which you've mentioned before. Yeah. Do you stand by an eight out of ten? I'd probably. I may. I'm half and half because. 
I, I want to downgrade it to a 7.5 or a 7 because I still don't think I enjoy the Rukia, the plot line of how she just disappears and Mabenga's then just fine. Um, mm. But I do really enjoy Hemmer's stuff. I enjoy it all of like Anson Mount just playing the, you know, playing the fool uh so maybe i'll stick to an eight like because for for its first for its bad points at the end for how they for how they deal with mbenga and his child that he couldn't help but neglect but it didn't quite work i don't think it kind of works out in the nature of star trek i i, I love a holodeck episode so i think i'll stick mm. to an eight <laughs> all right fair enough big you gave this a nine out of ten how did you stand on that it's it's weird uh, mm. because the 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 high points I think were were very high. Mm. Um, I the 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 problem that I have with it now is the the fantasy trappings of the whole thing. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not sure how well that melds with the resolution of the Rukia story in in my head it's like i know hmm. why it happens i i understand why uh it all works it's like the the entity made all of this happen and uh ultimately made her fine in the end but i i don't know it it like anton mount is having a ball <laughs> but it seem it also seems like most of the rest of the characters are playing it pretty seriously which mm. i i understand that that's that's a, except christina chong she's gone full yeah into that's true it. Yeah. yes yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> I, I will i will give you that for sure but it's like you you have to make you have to be serious for the absurdity of the situation mm. to have its full effect but it also just means that to me on a real rewatch it's like it doesn't seem like it's quite as much fun as it should be for a dress-up episode if that hmm. makes sense, That's so fair. I I might actually knock it back to an eight in the hmm. end. Still a strong score. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. Um, now this was for most of us our lowest rated episode of season. All those who wander, yeah. goofy Hemmer memorial pictures out of ten. <laughs> um. I gave this a 7 out of 10. I stand by that score. Um, I, I feel like it overall holds up for me as a fan of the Aliens franchise. Like I appreciate the homages. They do go a little bit too hard, but I feel like in terms of this is a better Aliens movie than Covenant or Prometheus were. All three. All four. Um, <laughs> and I appreciate the practical effects work was sublime. Like the effects on Buckley were incredible. I appreciated like the the limited use of CGI on the Gorn, which looked incredible. And I thought that it was a good evolution of design from Enterprise. Um, it was a little bit ham-fisted how they had Mbenga refer to Oriana as his daughter, um, but at least it felt like it was at least trying to pay service to the idea that he is missing Rukia, even though she is in a better place now. Um, I appreciated Lan being the Ripley, Sam Kirk being the Hudson was hilarious. Um, I appreciate where that Spock thread might go in the future, um, especially now that they've mentioned they want to explore his relationships and his human side more. I hope it's not confined to just anger, that he gets to develop some other emotions as well. Um, 
And while I think it is an ultimate net loss for the show to lose Hammer, not just because like Bruce O'Rourke is an incredibly talented performer, but because he was our first like, you know, like, blind character, main character in Star Trek, that's a loss and it's not a great look to be killing off your disabled characters when they've been written so well and we missed them so much. So yeah, 7 out of 10, I'll stand by that. Um, Idle, you gave this a 6 out of 10. Do you stand by that score? No, I think I was just burned on Hammer and the Aliens references. I probably would go up to a 7.5. 7. Mm. It was very good. It was fun to watch. Like, for, for all all the sort of the tension, what they gave it, and just, like, the resolution of it. I, I And Hammer did have a, such a good death. It was a really... Like, if you're going to send your character off, that's a good way to do it. I just wish it was in Four Seasons time. <laughs> like, yeah. I wish I got more time with him, and that's the ultimate, like, heartbreak, really, because, like, after Elysian Kingdom and having all the fun of him doing, like, his hammy acting and that, and just, just his arrogance. His, he has, what like a charm of arrogance which is you know mm. i don't know what the word is like a personable arrogance Popocity. Like, yeah i kind of but in a, in a good way like you kind mm. of want to like you want to know that false he, personality yeah 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 you kind of want to know him more like you can tell he's being a bit of a dick but he knows it and he knows he's doing it for the yeah. likes you know um yeah so it's the charm I, of supreme confidence in your ability. yes yeah that yeah exactly couldn't have said it better myself, and I didn't. Um, yeah. But <laughs> uh, yeah, and we just wanted more. We wanted more from Hammer yeah. because of that. And he had such a good death. He had a, he had a, like the best way you could have sent him out, better than Yar, you know. In, yeah, in hindsight, absolutely. that's that's the better than Jadzia. That's the, that's the better than Trip. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. They're, they're, those are the parallels. So yeah, yeah I'm harsh. I, I, what did I say? I'd upgrade to an eight. Eight five. You, you said you, you gave it a six. You said you'd upgrade to a seven point five, but if you I, want to go I, higher, I, I, yeah, seven five sounds right. Seven five sounds right. It's all okay. Good. It hurts. It hurts. Now, big, you disliked this most on first watch. Like you had a higher score for lift us up with suffering cannot reach. You gave it a four out of ten. Do you stand by that score? Okay. So I still feel largely the way I felt when we did the rewatch. Mm. So I, I, it still hues so closely to its influences to be distracting. Mm. It, it is, you know, it's just very, very clear what they were trying to do. And it, in some ways it's like, I kind of am looking directly at the writer of the episode. And I thought it was going to affect me more on Memento Mori because he was a co-writer, uh, uh, Davy, Davy Perez was mm -hmm. a co-writer on Memento Mori also. So I was thinking that, you know, this whole Gorn thread was basically his idea. And mm. it still feels like to me, because we haven't seen what's what's going to happen from here with the Gorn, that all of it was just set up to make a goofy aliens ripoff. It's like that was his end game for this whole thread of things. Uh, I mean, th there are pluses, you know, like depending on what they do with Spock, you know, that could that could be a thing that's relevant and has uh, ongoing impact. But yeah, the it's just it just doesn't hit me. It doesn't it doesn't mm. hit me. <laughs> that's uh, and and that is saying is something. It's like I I loved the Alien movie. Predator is one of my favorite action movies of all time. Mm. Uh, but it's just. 
if I wanted to see those, I would just go watch those. I don't yeah. need to see Star Trek's take on it. Yeah, that's um, fair. But all that being said, it still moves. Like there's there's never a dull moment in this mm. episode. Like it, and that is much more than you can say for "Lift Us Up, Where Suffering Cannot Reach." Yeah. It is so. By just that token alone, I will bump it up a, to a five. Mm. Save it. So generous. From the, yes. Well, I mean, that's it, fair. I, it's I, a good reason. It's like, I feel the way that I feel about it, but that other episode is work. Yeah. And it's, so I need the scores to reflect that. That's absolutely fair. All right. And now the finale. Now, a quality of mercy. This was Vulcan Death by Democracy. I said Death by Democracy because it was meant to be Vulcan, you know, like a, a Pike Command Star essentially got spot killed here. I feel like I should probably modify that to Vulcan Death by Diplomacy, but same difference. Um, all of us gave this a 9 out of 10. Um, and even though he's not here, I have to speak up for Automaton. Um, he's a very dear friend of mine. I really wanted him to like Stranger Worlds and to get the same enjoyment that say like I um Idle and I get out of Discovery. Because it's like for people who want that episodic experience, it's been a bit of a dry well. Like, you know, Lower Dex has kinda hit it. Picard was has been mixed at best. Stranger Worlds has hit it out of the park for most of them, and I was like, I really hope this sticks the landing for him. Automaton said this was catapulted straight into one of his all time top three episodes of Star Trek. It's crazy. That is incredible praise. Yeah, yeah, I was not expecting that at all. Like that, uh, that is such glowing praise, and I respect that man's opinion like nobody's business. Um, all three of us gave this a nine out of ten, gentlemen. Do you stand by your scores? Well, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also uh... would stand by my nine out of ten. I feel like this is such a well-crafted episode in terms of using. A completely, completely stealing another episode, but then completely recontextualizing it. Like, yeah. taking Perk's arguable finest hour, one of his finest hours, and then using it to paint one of Pike's most ignoble failures. And he failed by trying to be noble. And that's such a tightrope to walk in terms of the balancing of making your character seem competent, which, you know, really big you pointed out that was a failing of lift us where suffering cannot reach, but yeah. making it feel like he's not an idiot for trying this. It's like it, Kirk yeah. has that moment when it's like, you tried for something better and I'm sorry it didn't work out. And yeah. that's a yeah. really Star Trek ethos. And I feel like that yeah. kind of elevates this beyond just a retread of another episode is that it completely recontextualizes it. And I feel like that's why it works. I'll well, and it's, it's... Sorry. Well, okay. <laughs> well I, I was just going to say, like, the normal Star Trek thing to do in an episode like that is, you know, do something like uh, Trials and Tribulations or something, where you actually go back to the mm. actual episode <laughs> and you mm. stick people in it. Or, yeah. you know, kind of a you know, back to the future or, you know, quantum leap kind of thing where it's like, you're sticking yourself in the original text. This is actually just, you know, it's, it's a more novel way to do it. Actually seeing an, an alternate thing of a universe we've already seen. And yes, I, absolutely. I'm, I'm 
good with the the nine out of ten. Uh, I mean, there there are a few just little quibbles there. Uh, we we still don't know what the um, Paul Wesley Kirk is ultimately going to be, and mm. as an introduction, yeah. there are there are hits and misses in that portrayal of Kirk, like, you know, the stuff like him bringing in the, the, the fleet of mining ships, like that's an absolute hit. That is a total Kirk move. And that is the most, like when he comes back on the screen with the, with the fleet, that's like, okay, yes, now we have Kirk. Yeah. Uh, but also there's just some there, moments there, there, where there was it a just, conversation he has with Pike. Like I, I wasn't entirely sold. Even with that, I wasn't entirely sold on Paul Wesley's Kirk until he had a conversation with Pike when I thought like, Actually, no, this is not not movie-era Kirk, not Pine-era Kirk, what people think Kirk is. This is TOS Kirk talking to Pike. This this feels very much like the very militant man, not not what people think of him as, what people, like Sam Kirk says, like, oh, he's very rash, he's very, he sort of breaks the rules. No, 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 this sounds more like Kirk that is, like, bringing, pulling Pike up on his shit. And and sort of like you know very much addressing the problems with his command and sort of sounds very much like Kirk would be in TOS who is a very military man very kind of um, by the book by the book or, or, or yeah. very by by the book you know you know very sort of <laughs> uh, I said that in the fucking episode ten recap as well didn't I um, you know it, yeah sorry sorry step on your toes big but please carry on. Oh no no no! I I had pretty much finished what I wanted to say. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that bit where he's you know he's like you if you hesitate and you don't put everything yeah, you can that. into the punch, they're gonna feel it. That that that, that was the most that, most Kirk he's been. Yeah. yeah. Um. I I feel like we're gonna have to give it a bit of time to marinate, and we'll mm. maybe I could even see a score on this going back in retroactively if we see his season two Kirk. And it's notably different and more like the TOS Kirk because there are differences. There's quite, you know, the butterfly effect of changing one thing and suddenly a million different things change. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of the, the the naked now kind of problem. It's like where you have mm. different versions of the characters that you've only known for one episode. It's like yeah. you know, you don't have mm. enough context to really judge it. It's still not a good episode, even after you have the context. But, uh, still, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, just, but the thing is, like in Star Trek 09, they go, oh, Sulu's into fencing just because he was in the naked now after all those drugs injected into a system. Like, yeah. they, they made that the defining characteristic, even though it's not referenced anywhere else. But mm. So, what, a few what, ups and downs up there. What, what did I give it? What did I give this episode? We all gave it we a We all gave it a nine. I might go up to nine five. Really? I might Even do. with your concerns about Paul Wesley. Hmm. I've walked do what you know what? After I watched it first, I went, oh, I'm not sure. Second time I watched it, I went, maybe. And I think I could see if and it was since comments have been behind the scenes of them saying, like, yeah, this is an alternate reality. Kirk, who has not met Spock, who serves Captain the Farragut, whose Laan is their first officer. Um, I could see that. And there was enough elements of Kirk in like the speech he made to Pike, you know, about saying like you're doing the wrong thing, um, that made me think, okay, maybe there is something there. So maybe that score could be a nine point five, depending on how Paul Wesley plays a Kirk. Not that we're expecting him to do a Shatner or a Pine. Mm. I, I feel Pine is more a Kirk than Paul Wesley is, through sheer force of personality, if anything. Um but yeah, I, I, for Up overall, apart, point, yeah. apart, yeah, apart from the Kirk stuff, the rest of the episode was goddamn stunning. 
like like taking the shock of making a balance of terror re- terror me re- re- a balance of terror like um after all these years um is just a point of genius and doing it this way mm. is what no one expected and just great great to watch great to watch as a trek fan if you are not a trek yeah. fan you watch this the first time you'll be like well why is this important i'm like no it's great mm. it just it's it's it's, it's it, actually it, it the most so important harder. thing in the world yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and i you know what i also feel like i have to give it props it's also a really good tone setter for season two where you get your teasers of what lan will be doing you yeah. get your teasers of kirk who's going to be a bigger part of season two you get the final reveal with una this like I feel like I have a good mm. grasp on what season two is going oh, to be I, I about. I could see Captain. I could see Captain Lan. Yeah. Like she's been sort of set mm. up, and like she has a personal development journey going on that sort of sets her up for command with her interactions with Pike, how to deal with people. Like she's very affrontish, but then with her with um, uh, Uhura and other members of the cast, she's learning different. It's almost the data equivalent, isn't it? She's learning how to be a human being after all, and then taking command. Yeah. But I could, I could definitely see a Captain Laan in the future as a plot point. You know, that was that was another little weird thread that kind of got left. Uh, was the Momentum Mori, uh, where they, uh, she has the the image of her brother kind of being the hmm. weird ghost on the shoulder that she would see. I mean, I guess maybe the implication is that the mind meld with Spock makes that go away mm. to where she kind of resolves it, but I expected that to come back somehow. And it, it just well, she is also regularly going to therapy, which is something you know, I also appreciate. That like after so many years of I'm gonna get my my mental health work done by my brother at a vineyard, Sunderland's actually going to be a <laughs> fucking professional and yeah. getting their head sorted out. Yeah. Like she hates it, I, but she's I, doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I wouldn't mind seeing that uh, come back in when we, because it's like since that we haven't had a true long viewpoint episode. Like episode nine, you get like a good mix of her and Uhura, but it's not from her explicit. You are seeing from her eyes. So maybe that um, that will come back, and we'll see that sort of that PTSD like resurface. I'd be interested to see how that comes because we don't actually have a confirmation on how much, if at all, the Gorn are going to feature in season two. So we'll have to see how that how that works out. Yeah. That being said, season one, what a fucking triumph. What a absolute success. Everything we hoped it would be, like... Mm. I don't know why I said... I I want to say, like, I didn't expect it to be, because... No, I I, I I did. I mean, I didn't. I I was pretty nervous watching episode one. I was like... Because nothing in uh, modern Trek has really... Uh, it's been mm. stuff that I've found things to appreciate in it. And that's even with, you know, something like Picard that I had a lot of expectation for. And I really was going in predisposed to like it. And it nothing has really had really hit me in that way where it was just like total, complete buy-in enjoyment so I kind of came into Strange New Worlds feeling that same kind of trepidation, and almost from moment one, it was just like, "Okay, we're let's go. We're we're here. This is it." So, yeah. yeah. So I, I was a little bit worried, um, mostly because of the stuff like um, revealing Paul Wesley Kirk before your mm. uh, your episodes even out. Like that was. I'm still not sure about the optics on that, although I feel like it has worked out in line of um, 
baiting us with the Sam Kirk reveal and then like having him in episode 10 if you didn't pay attention to the uh, the, the opening credits. Um, and the trailer, I was like, mm, this is okay, but then it, it really is a case of modern trailers can be just so deceptive as to the actual overall quality of the product because I loved almost every episode of the season, almost every episode, or at least found something to enjoy and appreciate. There are some I probably won't rewatch. Um, like you know, episode six, uh, episode nine, I might not. Um, episode seven, eh, pretty good, but I don't know if I feel the overall need to. Maybe if I'm just doing a season one rewatch, I'm but just there not are some watch episode here. nine just to just to pretend that Hemi never died and he just went off to his own home. Pl- he went back to Anar and Andoria, and he's happy. Mm. He's he's happy there. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, no, like there are episodes in this thing I can see becoming my favorite episodes of Star Trek FN. Like, Discovery has touched me in ways that, like, uh, there are some episodes in there that I would say are my favorite episodes of Star Trek. Like, uh, Magic to make the same as Men Go Mad, so um, If Memory Serves, Forget Me Not. I'm sure season four will knock my socks off as well. I'm hoping oh, yeah, so. Watch it, have you? I haven't seen season four. We're hoping to do a season uh, a review the next recap thing. like this. I would like to do that. But. Um, I think we're kind of on the verge of wrapping up, but what I want to leave us on is arguably what was the genesis for this entire season, and that was Pike's big moment of heroism in Season 2 of Discovery, where he picks up that time crystal, he sees his future, and then he says to himself, you're a Starfleet captain. You believe in service, sacrifice, compassion, and love. No, I'm not going to abandon things that made me what I am because of a future that contains an ending I hadn't foreseen for myself. Yeah, and that other that's that those are the words that launch a series. Frankly, that is a man I can believe and then be inspired by. Yeah, season two when <laughs> yeah come on bring on <laughs> i think we've uh summarized it absolutely fantastically and uh yeah uh, we're gonna be doing discovery season four soon i'm excited about this i've been i've been re-watching season three in anticipation because i've only watched it through the once and uh mm. big you're not the biggest discovery fan so i'm oh. gonna be oh, allegedly anyway <laughs> yeah. um which well, is- I, say, I just i still haven't i've only made it through about like maybe four or five episodes of season two so yeah. i've got a long way to go to just to mm. catch up to that point i actually liked season one quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, i mean i had some problems with it but uh yeah I, no that's I'm, fair uh, yeah i'm coming in it into it with uh hope and on optimism that i'm going to enjoy it so oh, fine yes absolutely like it'll be interesting to have like the counterpoint as well because like me and stars are we're big Discovery fans, aren't we? Like, you know, the, the, that, that can't be helped. Enough. We'll wait on that train. Yeah, yeah we will. <laughs> and I would say I'm, I'm re-watching season three in anticipation for us reviewing season four. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I enjoyed season four quite a lot. So, like, um, we'll be doing that soon. I, I, at some point, late August. So final final scores. Like, season, it's like the first season of a Star Trek show. Like, this is the reason we've done this review show is because we were so impressed impressed by the pilot episode when we need to review this. All of us pretty much just went, can we get on and talk about this? Because we, we need to. So, <laughs> like, how hopeful of season two are we? Um, I have high expectations. Yeah. But this writing staff so far has shown me that yeah. I have reason well, to have those expectations. Henry, Henry Alonso Myers wrote the finale he wrote spock and mock and he wrote children of the comet 
So mm. he's, if he's if he's staying on, which bangers. I assume he's staying on, yeah, yeah. everyone a banger. Absolutely. If he's staying on, I'm there. Like I'm used to work yeah. for Charmed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people grow. People grow, and they learn. Yeah. They they get yeah. the basic jobs to get their craft in. They go. I'm secretly a Star yeah. Trek fan all along. I'm going to get that dream job, and I think he's yeah. hit the end of his rainbow because like he's there. And what a what a win for these guys! Like yeah. honestly, just getting to this was the number one streaming service above like uh, Obi Wan Kenobi for a good while. It like, that's was, saying something. It? Yeah, that that's a pop culture juggernaut in its own right. If and you just... can beat Star Wars, you're there. If you can beat a Disney show, you're well, there. Uh, so beloved. You know what? I, I, this will tell you all you need to know both about me and about this. I watched this every week. I have still not seen the last episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, wow. I've, okay. I've watched all the rest of them. And I just, oh, actually, you know, the last episode is the best one. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 <laughs> I'm, I, I'm aware of this, and I do want to see it. Uh, but it's just like I made time for this. And it's mm. I, I don't have a lot of time to watch television yeah. in general. But the quality of this and being able to come and talk about it with you guys just really. It's because you're on the right in, side of the fandom. You're on the Star Trek <laughs> side, and you, we love you for it. <laughs> yeah. So, this 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 is the good stuff. Yeah. And in, enjoy it. Into the veins. It, yeah, yeah. It's, it 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 isn't like, always this good. We've so all we've all been through the you know coming out of DS9 onto sort of finishing up Voyager, and then we've all been through the Enterprise era a bit. Like, okay, this is getting tired. This is getting stale. As much as we enjoyed it, and then we've all been through the kind of the dark period when there was nothing until Star Trek 09 and kind of going, okay, they're making it Hollywood. They're trying to do a thing, and then Discovery came out, and for all the mixed reviews, we kind of had to, there was a little bit of an uphill fight for those that enjoyed it, and a little bit of a kind of trepidation for those that didn't. Kind of thinking like, oh, what are they going to do? Something that I like. And then Strange New Worlds has just been the thing that made everyone like it. So this is everyone's just sort of been on this sort of upward rush of just like oh, Trek's so good. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, okay. Thank you everyone for watching. Uh, we will be back soon for our next show, whatever that will be. Keep an eye on the YouTube channel. We'll be doing Discovery watches very soon. Uh, live long and prosper. And from ourselves, Tara. <laughs>